Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenceless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without G backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then it wouldn't have gone anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Is it just me that's a small little bit cynical about the Blarney Post Office story? Um, I've been following this one because I've covered enough of them over the years of a threat to a post office. And sometimes it's a very genuine threat indeed. And sometimes it kind of isn't. And it's hard to know with Blarney. But what will be sure about Blarney is that there will be a queue in the new post office. So you'll have the queue for services, obviously. You'll have the queue for stamps. And you'll have the queue for whatever else you want in the post office. And then you'll have a queue for people wanting to take the credit for keeping it open. You know you will. You know who you are, you lot. I seem to remember reading two or three weeks ago that there were a number of business people in the area interested in taking over the contract. It just needed to be negotiated. Now, it is true that that post office may move. It may find a new location within or around Blarney, but... There were people interested in opening it, so, you know, when people take credit for it, maybe take that with a grain of salt. 0818, I know, I'm in trouble already. 0818, 96, 96, 96. Another fella stuck in the tunnel this morning. Like, I thought we heard two weeks ago or more that there were sensors now, maybe a half a kilometre out that identify the truck or the, whatever vehicle is over overweight, identify it or over height, put up a sign that says, you know, you are X, Y, Z, whatever your registration plate is. You're too high. Go the other way. But some other fella gets stuck on it now this morning. It's gone beyond a joke now at this stage. It really is. It's holding up traffic right, left and centre of the in the morning times and something isn't right. And something needs to be sorted. If you were stuck in that this morning... Do give me a call or a message at 083 396 96 Another one that seems to be driving people mad, and I was caught in it yesterday, actually, coming down. I was up at that open door 
at the prison and you'll let you hear all of that later on but coming down through St. Luke's the traffic jam starts now just there sort of by the Chamber of Commerce office and that traffic jam starts right down the new arrangement up into Brain Baru Street it's after causing a backlog and a bottleneck up nearly into St. Luke's The world is a great place. Good morning. 0818969696. Here's a story that I want to get to. Do you buy a meal deal Um, when you're coming into work of a day or when you go off for your lunch at one o'clock? Do you buy yourself a meal deal? Do you get the sandwich and maybe the bottle of water and do you take the bar of chocolate or the, the bag of crisps with it and... Because it's, we say, six quid for the whole lot. And if you were to just buy the sandwich and the drink, it would be 5.40 or 5.60 and you get the whatever. They're, the HSE, their clinical lead on obesity, uh, is a man called Dr. Donald O'Shea. And Dr. O'Shea wants these deals banned. He wants these special deals for lunch banned. It comes after the World Health Organization found that the pandemic um, prompted a spike in unhealthy eating. Which is, we hardly needed the WHO to tell us that, but it is what it is. 65% of us Irish people are now overweight or classed as overweight. And our rate of obesity is one of the highest in Europe. So Dr. O'Shea wants to clamp down on this deal where you get a a sandwich or a wrap or a roll and a drink and then a bar of chocolate or a packet of crisps for maybe, what, 50 cents on top of it. Dr. John Sheehan, good morning. Morning, PJ. Seems a bit extreme trying to legislate us into what we can have for our lunch. It does, yeah, on the face of it. But when you step back a little bit, PJ, and look at many other public health measures that have occurred over the last 40 years, such as seatbelts, such as drink driving, such as the smoking ban, um, all a minimum price alcohols, all of those initially, when they first came out, everyone was giving out about the nanny state and telling us how much we should be able to drink and um, things like that. And now when you look at it, you would think it's bananas that people could smoke in the staff room or smoke in the cinema or any places like that and this is probably an extension of that now i agree with you i think really this should be more emphasis on education and getting people to make healthy choices than uh, legislation because Mm. the vast majority of people who buy meal deals probably are younger people more likely people on fixed incomes and like yourself you know you're in a garage or you're in you know a deli you see it and it's an extra 20 cents you say i'll get the bag of crisps and you know it tastes lovely when you eat it Mm. but we need to start changing some of that behavior and i think this is the beginning of that i don't know does it quite need legislation as more direction and education and choices so so before if you were getting a drink it might have to be you know coke or pepsi or something like that now you can use what you know of water mm. and likewise with things like crisps and things maybe we should we have the other option of substituting that with fruit i know if you go and you see a bunch of teenagers they're all going to get the crisps but if we start bringing those choices in um you know gradually what we're trying to do pj is we're trying to shift that behavior and change that behavior and that takes time 
And we see it and we see the benefits of it with smoking and the smoking ban. We see the benefits of it with, say, seatbelt use, with drink driving, with all with minimal price, with alcohol use now, hopefully. All of those things, they take years to come in, but it's about changing behavior. But I agree. I don't think we quite need legislation mm. for that. But what we can do is we can start giving people better healthy choices because, um, you know, we all like the quick snacks. We all like the things that give us a sort of a quick hit. Yeah. But we need to start changing some of that behavior. Yeah. I mean, for personally speaking, I have been known to buy the odd meal deal, but I will always get water because I kind of control my intake of fizzy drinks these days. Now that's maturity that comes with a little bit of age uh, plus the fact that the sugar rushes, I can't take them anymore. But what I've often done is, John, keep the bag of crisps I mightn't need them for a day or two they're in the they're in the glove compartment of the car so they're not actually, I'm actually not actually binging on them. But I'm thinking in terms of like a lot of people who'd come into your surgery there in, in Blackpool on fixed incomes. Like that packet of crisps is a treat for a child at the weekend who might otherwise not get it because mum or dad can't afford it. Absolutely. And like what you're doing there is, you know, you're, you, again, you're making the choice. Yeah. You, know, you might get the crisp, but you might keep them for, for, for later. So it's about people making choices and about being informed and having those options. And really, I think it's good that we're having this conversation. I think it's good that Don, Don O'Shea has done huge work on obesity and he sees and, uh, and he runs an obesity clinic in, in, in Dublin. So he sees the consequences of it. So I think it's beholden all of us to start going further upstream and seeing what we can do in terms of choices, seeing what we can do in terms of behaviour. As you know, PJ, we've had a million conversations in the city about cycle lanes and sustainability and Mm. things. And all of those things feed into sort of being a healthy city and a healthy environment. And this is just one part of that. But I don't think it quite needs legislation. I think it needs more choices and more education and more awareness of what needs to be done. One of the examples I often give uh, my patients when they're talking about trying to lose weight um, and diet and exercise, and diet really is about 70 to 80 percent of our our, our contribution to to, to weight if you're trying to lose weight. Um, A a biscuit, a chocolate biscuit, you have to walk a kilometre or more than a kilometre, nearly a mile to burn off the calories that a chocolate biscuit has. It's much easier to eat just maybe one chocolate biscuit or two chocolate biscuits rather than four chocolate biscuits. It's much easier to do that than to have to walk two or three miles. And it's about educating people and giving them choices about uh, about things. And really, I think that's where we should be putting mm. our energy in. Sometimes, John, I, I worry about that kind of comparison because people, we also have, and let's face it, Doctor, you see too, we have a, a difficulty with obesity in the country. We absolutely do. We'd be lying to ourselves that we didn't. But we also have huge difficulty with eating disorders and how easily they can be triggered triggered by loose talk about obesity and eating. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think this is why it needs to be done in a sort of a healthy cities, healthy environment sort of uh, um, manner. Because... You know, you have this, particularly with social media now, you have this fat shaming, you have this Mm. sort of um, negative talk um, and you have these unrealistic expectations of body beautiful and all of that. So by normalizing some of these healthy behaviors in our society and doing it as on a society uh, um, level, I think we get a much, much better result. And one of the things I really find, uh, you know, when, when I'm working, PJ, is, you know, people who are trying to lose weight, 
heavy people find it really hard to go to the gym. They find it really hard to lose weight. Um, you know, it, it, they're very self-conscious, body body conscious. Um, and, and that shouldn't be the way we should, you know, we, we should be promoting a society where we're all doing the healthy sort of options. If you look at countries like Finland and things like that, they have managed to achieve, they're about 20 years ahead of us in a lot of what they, they have done in terms of active, you know, activity and diet and, you know, cycling and things like that. And they, they actually have made a huge difference um, in terms of their overall level of health and level of obesity. And I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, we need to have open and honest conversations, but we shouldn't have these sort of stigma mm. and this sort of fat shaming that goes on. Yeah. Just before I let you go, a, a Facebook post by my, my pal in Killarney, Paul Trevor, about school lunches. I just thought I'd get your thoughts on it. He, he was just making the observation that he sees so many kids going into a shop with three or four euro to buy at the deli rather than taking a lunch that's that's made at home. And... In the, the, the temptation when you're standing at a deli counter, John, is to go for the, the sausage rolls or, or the wedgies. And that's not a healthy lunch for a child. So, so do we make... It, would you as a doctor, for example, encourage your patients to give their children a lunch that is made at home? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and again, you know, for, from a financial point of view, it makes sense. Uh, from a healthy eating point of view, it may, makes sense. But also from habits that you're building for the future. Because the habits we have as children and teenagers, they're the habits we tend to carry on into our, in, into our adult lives. So if you're used to having healthy options and bringing them in from home, and it's much easier to do that than when you're standing at a deli counter and looking. And of course, there's lovely sausage rolls or, you know, all the other sort of stuff that's there. Um, so if you have have that food and, and again, it's about normalizing it as a society so that if everyone is doing that, it's much easier for you doing that. You know, I'm not saying don't be good, you know, buying stuff the odd time, but don't make it a daily habit. And it's about changing those habits because this is a long term project. This is over your over someone's lifetime. And really, I say to people, you know, the habits, it's, it's about the habits that you're developing in your teens, in your 20s, in your 30s that you'll carry forward you know, for, for, for the rest of your years. And if you have good habits, you know, in, in your school years, that will carry forward and it'll make a big difference long term. All right, John, thank you very much, Dr. John Sheehan, Councillor Dr. John Sheehan. Meal deals, your thoughts? I Look, you know, these, and meal deals in chippers as well as what I think the HSE are looking at, the, the kind of thing where you get sort of a burger and chips and a massive Coke for four or five quid, there are some places I just can't eat those anymore. I can I can eat the burger, and I, or I can eat the chips, but trying to get the two into me and the coke on top of it, no, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. My stomach isn't big enough for it anymore. I can't do it. But some people do. I don't know where they put it. But the HSE wants to intervene there too. But in particular, it wants to intervene in your supermarket. So when you got your, your sandwich or your wrap or your roll this morning at half past seven, you got your bottle of water or your bottle of coke or whatever with it. And you got the crisps for 40 cents, so you got the Kit Kat for 50 cents. HSC's doctor, Donald O'Shea, wants to ban that because he said it's not a healthy, it's not healthy, it's not, it's not a way we make, we make healthy choices. Also, just on what Paul is saying, uh, just to go back into that Facebook post of his, he asked the question, this is Paul being Paul, which means he's poking. Do parents not have time anymore 
to make a nutritious lunch for their kids at school. Is it they don't know how? Are people just too lazy? Do they think it's cheaper to do it that way? He's looking for people's take. Chatting to Fiona this morning, sometimes the lunch, and a lot of parents say the same, the lunch will come home in the lunchbox. The, the sandwich will come home in the lunchbox. So if you give them a couple of quid, they'll go to the shop and they'll buy something and actually eat it. But the sandwich comes home in the in, in, in the box. But do anyone listening to me who gives their who make makes the point of giving their kids a lunch every day, or do you give them money? If you give them money, why do you give them money? Why don't you make a lunch for them uh, across five days? Was going to cost you twenty twenty five quid. You'd make a lot of lunches for twenty twenty five quid. Things to ponder this morning on the opinion line. 0818969696. Listener says, I'm stuck in traffic and Google Maps is telling me it's going to take 41 minutes to get from Carrick to, get to Carrick Tool from the Douglas exit on the south wing. Oh, good luck with that one. 0818969696. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Hello there, I'm Graham Norton. Each year, the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon raises vital funds to support cancer services here in Cork. Please donate what you can to help so that these essential Cork charities can continue their great work. If you need a light to shine Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Dave Gibbons, the plumber, is in traffic an hour. Oh, God, Dave. And he's not in the city yet. We'll turn the radio up and listen to the show. Cheers, Dave. 0818 96 96 96. Your thoughts on, on meal deals. Um, very welcome. And the thing about the lunchbox, do you put something into the children's lunchbox to send them off with a little sandwich and a banana maybe a bottle of water because a lot of schools now won't let them bring anything except water which you might or might not like that particular rule but do you give them a lunchbox or do you give them money for the deli and why do you give them money for the deli yeah of course it's easier but actually it's more expensive in the long run you get a sliced pan and a bit of meat or whatever they want for a lot less than you pay for a fiver for the deli every morning but your thoughts I welcome. My, my kids got a lunch I can't take credit for it, it was their mother did it and to this day when the young fella goes off to his centre in the morning his mother packs him a lunch and the boy would eat box and all that's, that's, that's him but you know that's, that's which do you do and if you do which why Tell me, 0818 96 96 96. I'll come back to it. We've been again inundated with uh, more and more uh, passport stuff since we started talking about this months ago. It hasn't gone away, and if anything, it is getting worse. And uh, we've sent an email to the Department of Foreign Affairs on your behalf, uh, Thomas. But tell me your story. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so the story is really simple in my eyes. Uh, I applied for my son's passport on the 4th of April. So in order to apply for the passport, I had to send away my national ID card because I'm Polish national. So my wife had to do the same thing. So my understanding was that once they get the original documents from us, because the scans or photocopies were not allowed. So I was thinking that 
Once they get it, they'll scan it, and that'll be their priority to scan it and send it back to us because they are documents, like, you know? Yeah. So then we were waiting and waiting for weeks and weeks, and last Monday I tried to make contact with the office in Dublin, and I tried to ring them 84 times before I actually got my place in line. I was 23rd in line when I actually got through. So then I, I was talking to the, the re- representative and uh, I told him my story and I said, look, I need my national ID card because that card allows me to cross the border and I need to travel for work. Well, I have a trip, work trip booked for the 14th of June. Mm. I'm taking a person that I work with. I work with uh, per- people with intellectual disability and I'm taking one of them to Poland that was his, his dream to go to Poland and visit where Pope was born, the Pope John Paul II. Okay, right. But anyway, I explained my story and, and the man said that he can't do anything about it and he, he just hung up on me. He just hung up on me. Right. So I didn't want to waste any more time that day trying to ring another 84 times or whatever. So yesterday I went to the office in Cork and I explained my story and I said how I was treated over the phone. And that really, really lovely, nice lady, she said that she will put an email to the Dublin office that my document is urgently required back. Mm-hmm. So I was actually happy about it. But half an hour later, when I left the office, she rang me, that woman from the office in Cork. She rang me to say that she got on to the office in Dublin and they told her that my document or my wife's are not scanned yet and they, they're not verified and they won't be scanned for at least another three weeks. That takes us to the 7th of June, and I'm flying with work on the 14th. So you sent in all of your required paperwork for your son's first passport on the 4th of April. Yes. And they're telling you on the 17th May, or the 16th of May, that they haven't yet scanned your own document within so so a full six weeks and they haven't even scanned the document yes that's that's exactly what i'm saying and you know what it's just it's absolutely mind-blowing because this is like i think the conversation between the cork office and dublin office yesterday took way longer than actually getting up from the desk and go to the scanner and scan it you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you have a tracking number with that tracking number they can find your paperwork they can scan what they yes. need to scan, store it in the computer, and send it all back to you. And they could have that done by the close of business. Now, I, I guess, admittedly, Thomas, things are very busy up there. We're being told that. But here you are trying to, trying, to, trying to go abroad for work. You need your paperwork. You can't travel without it, am I right? Yes. So the advice I got over the phone yesterday when the, the woman from Cork office rang me, she said, I can pull the application all together and then I'll get all my documentations back, then I can fly for work, and when I come back, then I can apply uh, for my ch- uh, my child passport again, all over again. But I can't do it, because then we'll be waiting another couple months for his passport, and we actually going back to Poland on the 3rd of July for good, the whole family, we are going back to Poland because of the rising cost of living. So I can't, I can't do that either, I can't pull that application. No. 
Thomas, we've um, got your deets and we're sending off uh, an email to the Department of Foreign Affairs on your behalf. Whether it'll work or not, I don't know. I'm not a politician, so I'm not going to make you promise. But we've got your, all your information and we've sent off an email to the department. And if we hear anything back, uh, then you'll be the first to know. But thank you for that. Another version of the passport complaint. Thanks, Thomas. 0818 96 96 96. Antoinette says, I make my kids lunches every day. My older two don't eat it. I'd rather give them the money to get a roll and a drink than leave them go hungry. My youngest isn't allowed out of school at lunchtime because the school is trying to stop kids going to the shop and buying crap. Mag says, there's a lot I don't agree with Paul Travode about, but when it comes to school lunches, he's spot on. I make my gang healthy, packed lunches every day. And by the odd apple that goes for a day out in the lunchbox, they're always eaten. 0818 96 96 96 Oh, an English of the examiner has just tweeted there is a collision now on the N40 South Ring Road eastbound near the Mahan Junction traffic backed up to the Kinsale Road roundabout oh it's a bad one on the roads this morning will I go I will before the break Gillian hi hi lunch boxes yeah what do you want to say um, well we send the lunch box it's um, company day Selena and um, they come to the school every day and they deliver the lunch okay. to school. And um, it's two fifty a day for what we get. You have just a big, huge range of menu you can pick from. And then um, we get a roll, um, an apple, and um, maybe a rice cake nice. every every day. And it's just so handy. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic idea. It's fantastic. Like I mean, every school should be given the option of it. Like, and it can be as cheap and as expensive as you want. Yeah, and you, you send know, in the bottle of water, do you? I send in the bottle of water, or the sugar-free juice, whatever she's looking for. Right. But um, she's um, like it works out really well here. And, like, and do they eat it? Is the big question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She eats it, and if she doesn't eat it in school, she eats it on the way home from school as we're walking home. Gotcha. You know, so, and it's fantastic. It's brilliant. Okay, what's the, is it a company? A yeah, what's it's a called the lunch, the lunch box. The lunch box, Gillian. That's yeah. a super idea. I've not heard of that before, but thank you. Uh, simple idea: two fifty a day, and the child gets a lunch box delivered to school, and she sends in a little drink. That's a cool idea. Anybody else have that? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I agree. Says this. She always make lunch for kids, but I need to highlight it's not really that much cheaper. Sandwiches, maybe a, a euro a day. Fruit, 80 cents a day. Yogurt drink, a euro a day. Cheese strings, euro a day. A bottle of water. The tap water isn't drinkable in our house, a euro a day. So I fully agree, but it's not exactly cost-saving. Well, on the water, if you go to Aldi or you go to Tesco or you go to Super Value or any one of those, search and you will find those little small bottles of water for cheapest chips. The Like, you know, if you take... Tesco, and I just mentioned Tesco because I, I shop there a lot, buy a lot of water there. They're little small bottles of water. You get six of them for about 150. So you, you just shop around. You'll get, and Aldi have whole trays of water for 250. So if you shop around, you'll get the water cheaper. But I do take your point. It, uh, sandwiches a euro, yeah. Fruit 80. Yogurt drink, euro a day. Cheese strings, euro a day. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96FM.ie. Sunday, May 22nd is our special end-of-season show. Coverage, commentary and interviews. Get all the dramatic twists and turns on the final day of the Premier League. Number one, that's top of the league. The Premier League Live. With now, your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most. With now. Exclusively online at 96FM.ie or download the Cork's 96FM app. Courts 96 FM. Now, the crisis in childcare continues, and the uh, Federation of Early Childhood Providers has warned that over 250 childcare providers could close their doors between now and the end of 2023 over a core funding crisis. Elaine Dunn is their chair. Two, over 250 could close, Elaine. Good morning. Oh no, good morning PJ and thank you for having me on yet again. Um, yes, absolutely and we actually, we think that it'll be a lot higher than that next year if something isn't done from the government to save these services. It's actually gone to a point of crisis now and it seems the department are not listening. Now you use the term core funding for people who wouldn't be familiar, what does that mean? So this year we have been allocated a new funding model that's coming in. So 221 million, which is what our minister talks about all the time. But when you break it down, the small, lovely community-based services all across Ireland, rural and urban, um, will get nothing or break even, literally break even. And with the rate of inflation, with all of the cost bases gone up for them, they will not survive. So what we've heard on the ground at the moment, so we did um, a couple of interviews the other night with providers where one provider in Dublin said that she won't get any wages at all, but she'll keep her service open for this year because she has made a pledge to the parents to keep it open. Then you have another service provider, 100 ECC children attending this service each week. And what's happening with them is at the end of a year, after they pay all of their staff, they don't take their wages until the end of the year, obviously out of the, the small profit that they get. They will have €4,000 between them as their wages for opening a service for 28, 38 weeks wow. of the year. I mean, why would you stay open for that? The providers are so deflated on the ground on the fact that our minister has not come out here at all and addressed this issue. Mm. Um, This morning, we um, had an article in The Independent and in it, there is a comment from the department saying they have not seen any data whatsoever to indicate these closures. So let me tell everybody here today, we went into the minister and his department three weeks ago now We gave them all of the data. We gave them the survey results. They have all of the data. And I can only hope here this morning that Michal Martin, our our Taoiseach, and Michael McGrath are listening on this station this morning because this is going to get very serious and parents are not going to be able to find places for their children this time next year. Yeah. The Minister keeps coming back to this $217 which is a massive amount of money. But to you, it is a fantastic amount of money if we were getting it. But you're not, are you? Okay, so it is actually fantastic for quite um, a large number of providers within the sector. So you've got your mass chains, you've got your your smaller, um, you know, services, well, full daycare services. They're all going to do great. And anybody that has children under the age of three, 
they're going to do really well. But it's these small services that hold up small rural communities and, and urban communities and are so community based. And they run all different little like coffee mornings and different things throughout their services and really engage with the parents as well. It's these services that are going to be gone. I mean, would we really want that to happen? And trust me, PJ, we have nowhere for those children to go in the full day care services. There are no places in full day care services across Ireland. So this has hit crisis point. And unfortunately, what tends to happen is nothing gets done until doors begin to close. But you're telling me, Elaine, doors are already closing. No, absolutely. And, you know, the funny thing is we we had a meeting with a whole load of our members the other night and they're just saying, can we not just do a protest? And I'm like, well, I would love to see a protest coming at this point because I think it's the only way we're going to get some recognition for these small, wonderful providers and their staff. And they deserve to be recognised. They're top quality services. You know, when you look at a a survey that says the only reason some of these providers are staying open, 60% of them have already committed to places for children. 49% will make a personal sacrifice to stay open, which I've indicated that, you know, how much little they will get for the wages this year. 33% can't afford to close this year because they cannot afford the redundancies. I mean, is that not worrying for every parent across this country and for our government that this is what this national survey is saying? And about you talk about small providers, and that's that's an umbrella term, I guess. Approximately, Elaine, how many children are involved here? Um, well, if you look, if, if they're, they, it's from the public report, I think there's nearly 2,000 providers. You're probably talking about maybe 90,000 children or 100,000 children here. What? Wow. So for the closures that they're saying now at the moment, for the 260 that are saying they're going at the moment, it's it's probably in around six or 7,000 children that will be affected immediately, you know, over the, over the next year. And then, but we reckon that if something isn't done, there'll be a lot more closing their doors. Wow. next year of those smaller services and it's so unfortunate because these are wonderful services and you've had some of our people on DJ talking about their services and you know and I'd love to see you bringing on a couple more to indicate how they feel because I know in Cork it's going to take a massive hit here and those women and and, and men that have lovely services out there you know these these people are taking a massive hit here and will not be able to have sustainability for the year they they definitely won't well i'd love to talk to someone who is in danger of having to pull their shutters over this i really would elaine thank you as always for being with us on the opinion line it's elaine dunn she's the chair of the federation of early childhood providers and she says 260 more than 260 different providers are on the point of closing or will be closed before the end of 2023 under the current funding framework, as it were. Even though the Minister keeps going on about £217 million, which is a lot of money if it's going to the right place, but according to Elaine and her colleagues, it's not. We had a voice note on the passport. James was listening to Thomas, and I think James has his own story. Hi PJ, I applied for my kids' passports back in January. Three of my kids' first-time passports. I have received two but my third passport still hasn't arrived as they're still asking me for documentation even though it was sent in as a group application and all documentation was sent in together it's coming up to five months and still no passports five months and still no passports thank you James if you ever want to get involved in the show that way you can 083 396 96 96 just pop us 
a voice note. We were talking about hacking yesterday uh, and, and having your account hacked. And we were talking to Ronan from Smart Tech about how easy it is to get hacked and how frequently Facebook pages get hacked, Facebook business pages, and how damn near to impossible it is to get a human being on the end of the phone in Facebook to sort yourself out. I, I Will I go to her now, Fiona? I will. Lauren O'Reilly. Lauren, you run a, a business, a nutrition business, and you use Instagram, and you had your account nutrition by Lauren, and it got hacked. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, it's been quite a journey. Um, so about two and a half weeks ago, um, uh, my Instagram account got hacked. Um, as a, a small business owner, um, I'm always looking to kind of help others as others are looking to help me and support each other. So when another business asked me to vote for them on Instagram in a competition, I didn't hesitate. In fact, all I really looked at was the word vote yeah. and said, oh, what, what can I do? Um, is there a link or something? And they said, yeah, sure. Uh, what's your telephone number? Um, and I was like, oh, here it is. Didn't think twice. My telephone number is all over the internet. I run a business. And um, next minute I got a text message and within minutes they were in. I didn't even, I didn't stand a chance. Um, I looked at my phone. I'd been logged out. I was like, okay. Went to log back in. Username doesn't exist. Checked my email and uh, it said your, your email has been changed. I could even see their email. Um, but it, I didn't even get a chance to recover the link that even though it said your email had been changed, if this wasn't you, click this link. Uh, they'd already gone in, changed my username, changed my email, changed my password, and they had locked me out of my own Instagram account, business how, account. How long did all this take? Um, too long, to be honest. Um, I mean, I got how long, how long before you got the text message, shall we say, to losing everything? Minutes? Hours? Uh, oh, the text message was sent virtually immediately as soon as the telephone number was given. The, uh, I, I received the text message immediately, opened up the text, and then boom, they were in. At this stage, I didn't realise. I thought, OK, that my vote must have went in. I went to get a coffee, looked at my phone, and I'd been logged out of my Instagram app. When I went to log in, then it said, username doesn't exist. And I'm like, this is all very strange. Uh, so I contacted the person who I voted for, and they go, oh, sorry, my account was hacked. But it all looked very innocent. The message within Instagram looked very friendly. Mm. And I, I, I know this person personally. So it wasn't like a, a random business. This was somebody that I know, like, and trust. Um, so you they know, had been hacked. So they had been hacked. Yeah. But it all came across very innocently. They come across very humanistic on, on in their emails and contacting you. Um, so that was kind of the situation. Um that I was left with, I had no means of getting back in. Yeah, and it happened so, like, well, again, it happened in minutes, minutes really. When you, and, you know, in, in the time it took you to make it and bring a coffee or back to your desk, your 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 account, you were out of it. Exactly. Right. Um, so I, look, I, I didn't stand a chance. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, how exactly they did it. Um, from what I can understand and how quickly it happened, it's almost like when that text came in, it bypassed the login. And it brought them straight into my Instagram account without having to log in or do anything. They went straight into the account settings and changed everything before I even had a chance to take a sip of coffee, as you mentioned. So they're very, very ornate. They're very professional people doing this. Um, they know exactly what they're doing. They went straight in, then they went another step further and they detached my Facebook account from it. Um, and then uh, when I got back in yesterday, uh, which was miraculous, by the way, um, I 
I reset all my passwords and everything. They, you know, I thought I was safe and secure. But um, I had watched a video to, um, to make, making sure that you take another step mm. to make sure they don't get back in. So I went into the back end and I realized that they had four Facebook accounts still attached to my Instagram, which I had to go into. the. It's not easy to do. It's You have to find go into the back end of Instagram and remove these again. So they're very ornate. They're very professional in what wow. they do. And even the process of, of getting back it's it was it's been emotional because this is my business they are my potential clients they are companies I work with they are cl- my existing clients um on my Instagram on my, on my Instagram page mm. and I felt powerless in not being able to protect them um so um I, I went to every means possible mm. to try and, and get my page back and uh, I think I it, all it, of the, pr- the people who hacked you then they also managed to swindle one of your customers, is that right? So they had three business accounts attached to mine. One of them is back, thankfully. And I'm, I'm, I also had to take the time to assist those companies too. Um, they also, one of them fell for, so they, they went onto my account, not alone were they hacking, but they were, te- they were attempting to sell cryptocurrency from my account. Now I'm a nutritionist, so that was quite a change in narrative from promoting nutrition and nutrition yeah. tips and all the bits and pieces that I do. To sell, to sell in cryptocurrency. But if I'm spending a long time building trust on my account, people will think, oh, look, you know, we trust her. Maybe she is genuinely selling this. Yeah, so yeah. I got c- contacted by one person on my personal account going, oh, I see you're doing well, really well in the cryptocurrency. Um, you know, before I invest, can you tell me a bit, a bit more about it? And I was like, no, sorry, I was hacked. And then another fitness instructor in the UK actually fell for it. That was the only person, one person out of almost 5,000 followers actually fell for the cryptocurrency purchasing. Um, It looks like he lost two and a half grand. Um, So, and they were saying that they have, that he has to have, I have it in front of me. He has to pay a 1,500 uh, fee to release the profit in inverted commas from their account and that sort of thing. And all he's saying is I'm knee deep in now and I just want my initial investment back and all of this thing. And by the time I got to him yesterday, I said, look, I'm really sorry. My account was hacked. He goes, look, um, you know, I was silly to have fallen for it. Mm. But of, of almost 5,000 followers, one, one did fall for it. But that's if that if that one person on all of the accounts they hack, that, that can also be the way that they make a no. profit there as well. Were you able to contact you know? uh, Facebook or Instagram or anyone like that to speak to a human being to get help with this? Um, it was very, very difficult. Um, their their processes and procedures uh, involve uh, you. Ha- you have to submit reports. You have to submit video verifications. It's very hard to get a human. It's impossible, in fact, to get a human to deal with this. Um, so I, I had to. I submitted reports. Once one report, one report came. Our email came back saying, "Sorry, we're only we're very busy at the moment. We're only dealing with urgent cases right now." Uh, on, and then uh, I submit other reports with um, identification, passport, driver's license, company registration certificate, um, invoice with my name and my business name on it. Uh, and they all said the ID, the ID wasn't suitable. It wasn't good enough. I don't know what more they can ask for. Um, I got onto the. I also got onto the Garda Cybercrimes Unit. 
So I was I was really going all out and they also emailed Instagram with all of my bits and pieces and my case and um, they never got back to them. Um, so in the end, I just had to keep asking friends and asking friends and eventually I, I by the grace of God, found uh, a contact belonging to them who works in Instagram who was able to put a case for me forward mm. for me. You shouldn't have to go through that uh, much difficulty at all, I had to go you? through you know, my video ver- video verifications, I look like me on my profile. I tried every means of lighting and everything you can imagine. And the uh, all of my video verifications, I must have done about 40 of them. And to get in to do the video verifications takes about six minutes or so mm. because you have to get codes back and forth and put in emails um, and uh, the whole video verification process. It was heartbreaking. There were tears at one stage, but you have to understand you're, whilst this is all going on, you're also trying to run a business. Mm-hmm. Your means of advertising a lot of your business as well is also on Instagram. Um, so you would have lost a little business through that then as well. Mm. But it took so much time. It was emotionally, physically, everything yeah. extremely trying. But at least um, you've got it. You, you've got yourself at half sorted. What advice would you give to people listening, Lauren, who are in a running a business like that to not get caught the way I did, as it were? Absolutely. Look, any way I can help other businesses going forward there as well. Um, you know, we can be very quick to want to support other businesses and vote for them in, in competitions and for awards and that sort of thing. I would recommend anyone going forward to never, ever vote for anyone uh, and to politely decline voting for people anywhere on social media ever again. Um, never give out your telephone number on social media messages. Um, you know, I'm, I'm here going forward. I'm going to I'm going to ask people to contact me by email. I threw my contact form. I'm actually going to be taking down my telephone number <laughs> from my social media channels as well. Um, um, to So the voting is one thing. One major step that a person can take to protect their account from fraud and here going forward is to turn on two-step authentication yeah. on all of their social media channels, be it their banking. That would have saved me. I didn't know it existed <laughs> at the time. Um, but on it's it's one more little step. And all it does is it sends a text message to you. You pop in one additional code when you're logging in uh, to your Instagram account. And this will prevent you from getting hacked in, in, in the future. Um, and just be really cautious. So, so to keep in mind, I run a nutrition page. I have done for years. Uh, and to be aware of changes in narrative on any Instagram pages that you follow. So if somebody's, you know, if somebody's selling coffee and all of a sudden they look at me, I bought a new car, um, you know, kind of go, that's different. Yeah. They've never sold cars before. Mm-hmm. So just to be conscious of cha- massive changes in narrative. Again, they changed my username there as well. So if you kind of suspect something sketchy, it probably is, you know. But the, the one major step that somebody can really take is is the two-step authentication. Okay. And, it, it, and no I use it myself. <laughs> it's a pain in the neck, but at least it, it protects you. And that's good advice as well. Don't vote for anybody on social media, which bothers a lot because some people genuinely are looking for your support to their, for their businesses. But it's too dangerous now, so don't vote for anybody on social media ever, ever, ever. And put the two steps in place. Lauren, thank you very much. And I'm glad that you got access back to at least some of your businesses. Can we just talk?
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Do you know the weather forecast is saying what it's saying, but the ever-reliable dark sky is telling me that there won't be much rain over the city at least today. This thing geolocates you wherever you are. I know I've been banging on about it for years now. But it, it finds you, it geolocates you and it's telling me here that, yeah, there'll be rain, but you're not exactly looking at deluges or downpours. God, there was... Did anyone see that yesterday? I was looking... I was just finishing some work last evening at home in the kitchen and looking out the, the rain that fell in Douglas, the Douglas area yesterday evening and I mentioned that specifically because I was looking out the back it was like something out of the days of Noah's Ark it was crazy for maybe 10 minutes or so it seemed to choke it down and the missus was out at the time and I said to her when she came home did you see that? She was only down with her sister down in, in Carrig Line and she said no I never saw any rain it was a really localised talk about opening a tap and the rain coming down you could get some of that now later today but uh, you will get rain but not not exactly um, a Noah's Ark style deluge according to uh, the Dark Sky app but we'll see we shall see and the forecast for the weekend isn't too bad Alan at Carlo Weather is trying to put a plan together for the weekend trying to figure out what it's going to be like not three bad not the summer now but not three bad 0818 96 traffic has been a nightmare this morning, this message, I left Cork. Now, you see, this when this happens to people, you got to feel very cross with the reasons why it happens. Left Cork at quarter to eight. Finally got to work at a quarter to ten. And got an automatic warning for being late. It has now been applied to my timekeeping card. Normal journey time is 30 minutes. So a 30-minute journey. You don't say where you were going or, or where you were coming from this morning. But normal journey, 30 minutes, this morning took two hours. The person's now been, had a warning for timekeeping put on their timekeeping card. That's unfair, but it is what it is. On hacking, Tom says, surely this is an opportunity for Europe to shine and Ireland as regulator for the likes of Facebook. The insurance industry helps to pay for enforcement against fraudsters, and that's all above board. Why isn't it mandatory that the likes of Facebook fund investigations against these fraudsters by the guards or by Interpol or by Europol. If it was mandatory to do business in Europe, then they'd have to suck up the cost. But the end, they have a more credible user base, which is good for their shares. Everybody wins. How about that? The problem is, Tom, that even to put that idea to Facebook, which I like, put that idea, trying to get a human being on the end of the phone to talk to them is the problem. But yes, it's a good idea. On passports, can't go in there because I actually work in the civil service. But anyone that works down there knows there's no performance measurement. No problems are corrected. No limit is put on how many cases are taken in or how much time is taken for personal chores. An hour's lunch break isn't an hour. 
it needs root and branch performance guidelines. As they say, you need to send in the time and motion, man. Those are my words, not the common. Send in the time and motion man. Or the time and motion woman, whatever, in these modern times of equality. John was wondering if we saw the primetime documentary last night on the families living with autism. Cruelty is the only word I can use. Yeah, there were a couple that were on primetime three years ago, Gillian and Darren, and they're again pleading to have their case heard. They're trying to get supports for their twin boys with autism and they still have no school place. Yes, I saw it, John. Very distressing. Very distressing to watch. And unfortunately, you know what I'm going to say? Not remotely surprising. That is really the problem. Traffic again. Ger was on about Summerhill North. This disaster, this absolute disaster since they changed the road layout there at Brian Baru Bridge. It seems to have caused a bottleneck right up almost into St. Luke's. But Ger says the problem is people making an illegal right turn on the bottom of York Hill. There should be enforcement and much bigger signage because some people don't even realise they can't do it until they're half committed to it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about there near the off-licence. I've done it myself until I realised I couldn't a while back. But I'm not too sure if that's the case. I'm not too sure if that's the cause. I really am not too sure because it's after getting a lot worse since they changed the lineup or the layout down at Brian Baru Bridge. Now, Orla, if anybody else came to me with this, I'd say you're joking. But because I know you, I know you're not. Where do you have to take Michael for a bit of respite? Good morning. Hi, PJ. Thanks for having me on again. Um, I have to practically leave the country to get respite for my child and go with him. I have to travel to Dublin to Fermanagh in the north. Fermanagh. You live in Blarney? Yes. I live in Blarney, yeah. And I travel up home to Dublin so I can stop, change and feed my child in my mother's and then carry on to Fermanagh. Outside of the EU? Outside of the EU, yes, as of last year. (laughs) Yeah. How was that going about? I mean, there's no respite anywhere in Cork or even in Munster? Not currently, no. Um, And the big thing about this respite centre, like this respite, it's ran by volunteers. There is 24-hour nursing care for the whole entire weekend. There's currently a student doctor um, volunteer as well. He will be qualifying. I think he is qualified or he's qualifying next year who also volunteers. There are volunteers that come over from the UK and there are volunteers coming from all around the country to go to Fermanagh to help children like my son. That's extraordinary. Yeah. And now Michael has and complex they do needs. Not... So you can't, you, you, when, you're, when you're getting respite, you know, you have to take a number of needs into account. Oh yeah, 100%. But like, you still shouldn't have Michael... to drive over 400 kilometres. <laughs> yeah, 400 kilometres and four and a half hours travel time. To get three, two, two nights respite, and like, and once uh, once I drop him, and I hand him over to the nurse, I do not see him if I do not wish to, for the whole entire weekend. Right, he is cared for twenty four seven while he is there. And what? I mean, you hardly come back down the road to Blarney again for the weekend, do you? 
No, I don't. They um they put me in a in a room in a separate house or a separate oh. room in a house. Yeah. What? They put you up. So I don't even have to sleep in the same room as my child. That's a break. I stay there. Yeah. They feed me. <laughs> um like the yeah, they feed me. Um the money that I pay for goes towards my accommodate like I I don't pay for Michael I pay for myself um because Michael's needs aren't like he doesn't eat all he needs is a bed they're not going to charge me for a bed for the weekend and like the money goes to buying the food paying for the accommodation for me and like they actually drive me from Enniskillen no sorry from the share holiday village to Enniskillen on the Saturday afternoon so that me and other parents can go shopping. They drive you? And be totally away from my child. Yes, they drive us. And they are 100% volunteers. They do not get a single cent of pay for the weekends that they well, that they do up in share. And do you mind me asking how much I, you, you, you pay for your own accommodation? How much do you pay yeah. for that? A contribution of 50 euro. What? And when, when, yeah, when I handed over um, 120 euro there a couple of years back, I was given back 70 euro. And I was like, it's Christmas time. It's like we're getting gifts. Like I got gifts. My son got gifts. I was handing over 120 euro because I was like, this voluntary ran like Christmas time. It's busy. Everyone needs a bit more money. And like there was turkey and ham and stuff for dinners and stuff. And I was like, I want you to take it. And she was like, absolutely no. Continue paying what you pay. Now, PJ, I know the organizer of Share for many, many years. She is a CNM in Crumlin. She volunteers every weekend to care for our children up there. Well, every weekend that it's on, she does, she does Jack, she covers Jack and Jill hours for families. Like, this woman does not get a break at all. She's constantly working, caring for children like Michael. I'm just amazed at this wonderful service that you and Michael get the break for the weekend. He gets all the care yeah. he needs. You get a break, time to breathe, time to relax, time yeah. t- time for you, which a lot of mums never get in your position, or dads. Yeah. Time for you. They'll drive you into Enniskillen to go shopping. They take as much and they care drive you back, and they drive you back. So if that if you if you wanted to have a glass of wine while you're there, you can do that. Yeah, exactly. And, and like fifty quid, they take the, 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 fifty quid. The the C that I was on about, she takes annual leave off of work to go and run these weekends. It's a clinical nurse and there's manager. a para oh. there's actually a paramedic who co co runs it with her. There's qualified chefs. Everyone. They are all volunteers. And who runs? I mean, they're volunteers, yeah. But who actually runs the centre? Um, the centre is called Share Holiday Village in Fermanagh, and the organisation is the or it's the umbrella of the Order of Malta. But the team that look after Share are called Share to Care for All. It's astonishing. It's astonishing. Yeah. Now you're, you are, and I know we're laughing about it, but you're leaving the EU to get this. I'm leaving the EU to get respite from, from Michael, yeah. And you think, well, why can't 
to be a centre like this in Munster, in Connacht, in Leinster? Yeah. Why can't yeah. there be one in Cork? Why can't there be one in Kerry? These are magnificent services. They're absolutely fantastic. And like PJ, the first year, the first time I ever went, there was no holes barred. If children wanted, if children who were full-time wheelchair users wanted to go on that climbing wall, they want to, went on that climbing wall. People who cannot walk go on a climbing wall. They go kayaking. They go swimming. They go out on the banana boats. They go out on a speedboat. Like I have pictures up on my Facebook of Michael in a nurse's lap on a speedboat, and he is just enjoying himself, oh falling asleep God. practically. And it's uh, just, you know, when they say, Orla, that you can't do that, you're saying, actually, you can, outside the EU. Yeah. Yeah. And PJ, just to know, um, Michael's making his first Holy Communion on Friday. Ah, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, a day that we never thought we would actually see. So we're really excited. I remember talking to you about that a few years ago. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, tell him I said hello. And tell him I'm very jealous. I'm very jealous about where he goes in his holidays. <laughs> Do you know what? I'll actually tag you on Twitter and um, put up photos of him on the Instagram and stuff, and I'll tag it in, the, in his communion suit. That's fantastic. So That's fantastic. So, and it's so simple. It's provided by volunteers, by great people like that clinical nurse manager you mentioned that goes up from yeah. Dublin. Provided by volunteers incredible services but you have to go 400 and odd kilometres to get a weekend break for you and your boy Orla thank you so much and I'm delighted that he's making his communion on Friday because it's a little boy that they thought might never get there and he has multiple needs but this is incredible everything is done for them for the weekend 50 quid they take offer all volunteers in County Fermanagh outside the EU she gets it twice a year the question being, why can't we do that nearer home? 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Now, on the subject of school lunches. Aha, uh-huh. a lot of you engaging with us this morning. A lot of people saying they make their school lunches every day, but it's not necessarily cheaper. Of course, it's a few years since we ever made, uh, since we made school lunches, so it might be a bit out of touch in that regard, so I appreciate that. I agree, you should always make the lunch for kids, but it's not really that cheap. I did that one before. A couple of quid a day, you can see that there. PJ, just one thing, most schools do not now allow plastic bottles. The children must use reusable bottles. It's to do with their green flag. Thank you. Uh, From Debbie. I think it also boils down to warm food as well. A roll from the shop is slightly warmer than a cold sandwich from home. St. Mark's and St. Brendan's in the Glen get a hot lunch every day, says this call. That literally eliminates the junk food problem, but it also looks after kids from poorer families or those that just aren't organised. They get things like chicken curry and soup and chicken rolls. They get water or milk to drink. Also, if they're not hungry at the time, they can bring it home in a pack because, you know, kids don't always want to eat at mealtimes. 
Rosaline says, I put bread rolls in my oven every morning for them and off they go with them quite happy. That's on Facebook, thanks. We buy all, another one, is we buy all our freshly baked rolls on a Sunday morning, make up all the sandwiches with sliced meat from Aldi and then freeze everything. I take them, I then take out what we need every morning and by lunchtime they're defrosted in the school bag and they're fresh and delicious. I do the same with my lunch and with my wife. God, that's an organised home. Are you in the army or something? <laughs> I only joke about that. Are you really? Because that's a very organised household. Fair play. 0818969696. Adele, you're on the opinion line. Good morning. Hello. Hi, PJ. Hiya. You, How are you? you, you, you oh, good. On, on lunchboxes? Yes. Um, so, as I said in my text, our school has the option of the lunchbag.ie um, that so that has to be put or ordered the day before for the following day. So it has to be in by a specific time. And again, you might miss the slot, but I find that it's actually more cost effective to, to do the lunches myself. As I said, if you shop around, if your kids aren't you know stuck on the branded cheese strings, Yopley, that kind of stuff, Aldi Little can be you know quite cost effective. Mm. Um, and also a lot of a lot of the bigger supermarkets will have things like cheese strings um, on special offer every two to three weeks. So you just stockpile because the the life on them is quite long. Mm. I I just know with my kids they don't tend to eat their lunch. They they nibble at a bit of this and a bit of that. And but as I was saying, I think we I think we're putting too much emphasis on the need for them to eat. I mean, children can function quite well on little nibbles. Mm. Um, they have two breaks in school. I mean, an adult wouldn't have two breaks from work in between breakfast and lunch, and we survive perfectly fine. Um, I think we stress too much about it. Uh, I have a friend of a friend who got so tired of it with her four girls a couple of years ago. She just literally now in the morning puts uh, a selection of stuff in the middle of the table. They pick what they want and off they go. Yeah, and we we think it's fussy, but actually no, they're just eating what they suit what suits them at the time, and their little bodies. Once you provide the nutrition, their bodies will provide the schedule. I I, I like to think that way. Exactly, and I have a little girl, and she's she's a very she's a very small appetite. She's five. She'll be starting as we say big school in September, but she's she's a pigeon. She just grazes, you know, as as the day goes on. And then my little boy, he's on meds that kind of su- suppresses appetite during the day, so he eats when he comes in and in the evening, and that's fine. I mean, they get fruit, they get dairy, they get you know, um, they might get. Uh, fruit juice, um, the odd day, that kind of stuff, raisins, um, and banana and apple. You know, I I think we can just worry about it too much. And as I said, most of the days it gets either thrown in the bin or the dog gets it. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, yeah. But that's good. I was chatting to Fiona about this earlier this morning and, you know, she was saying, what if all the stuff comes home in the lunchbox, they might have eaten the apple or taken a bite out of the sandwich or whatever. That's fine. They got some nutrition. That's grand. That's true. Exactly. And in our house, the apple gets the, the little bit that they bit off it, um, sliced off and put in the fridge for my porridge the following morning. So it's all great. Ah, you see, you're, you're way too organised for me, Adele. <laughs> not at all, PJ, not at all. <laughs> Flying by the seat of my pants most mornings, PJ, and, like the rest of us. Well, on, on, you, you mentioned cost. Um, mm-hmm. And you mentioned the fact that you have the opportunity to, to, to buy from this great lunchbox Company, yeah, 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 yeah. company. 
compare the two. Like, there's obviously more work in doing it for yourself. But compare is, the two price-wise. Now, and as your previous caller mentioned, you know, the base, the, the lowest option, I think, is about 250 Um But again, as I said, I suppose it depends on any given week where you've done your shop. But I, I still think you'd have a lot more in your lunchbox if you did it yourself. Yeah. You know, um, now the lunch the lunchbag.ie does have the option of hot food as well. Um, my my children wouldn't be interested in hot food in 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 the morning or that early in the the afternoon, yeah. so that would never kind of be an issue for me. The most would probably be maybe soup during the winter months. Yeah, yeah. But um, and again, you have to be organised because you have to put your order in by I don't know. I think it's prior to two o'clock. Yeah. Uh, the day before, and that takes organisation in itself. I'm just thinking again about it. It's got to be. This has to be an army commandant or somebody uh, who is organised enough to make all their fresh bread rolls on a Sunday morning, uh, make up all the sandwiches with meat out of Aldi, freeze the whole lot and take them out when they need it and do the same with his lunch and his wife. That's got to be army. They, they need to come to my house and give me a, a, some lessons on how to do that. But I know, to be honest, I know my kids wouldn't eat it because it wouldn't be fresh and my children just oh. prefer fresh... No, but as in when it's, I don't mean fresh as in it's fresh once it goes into the freezer, yep. but the fact that it's defrosted and mine are so picky that they would know. Ah. So, you know, if that works for you, great. And I'd love if that works because that would make life so much easier. All right. Adele, thanks for your call. 0818-969696. Yeah, kids will eat when they want to eat. And as long as they get the nutrition, the timing isn't really a big deal, you'd think. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at corkcitymarathon.ie. Access all areas on Corks ninety six FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Cork's beloved son, Sultans of Ping, plan a return to Cork for a special one-night-only performance at Cork Opera House on Saturday, February 11, 2023. Celebrating 30 years since the release of their debut album, Casual Sex in the Cineplex, tickets for the show are now on sale. Access all areas. The Chemical Brothers have announced their Irish return with an open-air show at Musgrave Park, Cork, on June 30th. They have very special guests, Ketama and James Holroyd, and tickets are now on sale from Ticketmaster.ie. Access All Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, or exhibition, or any live streaming events by emailing us on AAA at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. On Cork's 96FM. Just in morning traffic and the tunnel in particular, which once again this morning appears to have been blocked by an overheight vehicle. And I was saying there are sensors, and Joe from Cork Bio was on a couple of weeks with me explaining where he saw the sensors working and all that. But Paul, and I'm assuming Paul is a trucker or at least knows about trucking, sent in a quick voice note just on that very point. PJ, in regards to the tunnel, the height restriction warning is a great idea, but not a half a kilometre away from the tunnel. There's nowhere to divert the big trucks then. That warning, that height restriction should be back before the man exit and even further to let trucks know. Paul, thank you for that. 0818 
969696. Or for your particular voice note, drop it to WhatsApp 083 396 Now, journalist Laura Siggins uh, worked on the tragic story of Rescue 116, covered that tragedy. This is where the helicopter went down and a crew, uh, Dara Fitzpatrick, Mark Duffy, Paul Ormsby and Kieran Smith were lost. And we were here that morning when it was missing and remember covering it. We got on to our colleagues in that part of the country and they were covering the search and all that. So the story of Rescue 116, it was a major tragedy a number of years ago. Subsequently, we learned that it was a crash that was not only foreseen, but might have been avoided. And Lorna Siggins, uh, as I said, worked on covering that story. But Lorna, it 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 spurred you to, to write a book which is out now called Search and Rescue, uh, True Stories of Irish Air Sea Rescues and the Loss of Our 116. Lorna, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. Good to have you. It was a horrific tragedy and you were, like any other journalist, you were assigned to cover it. And the deeper you dug, the more you learnt about our search and rescue services and the more you wanted to know. Is that where this book grew from? Yes. Um, in a sense, um, it actually started in the hall, um, PJ, up in um, Acclaim in North Mayo. The community had set up uh, the hall there during the long search because uh, the two pilots were, their bodies were located, but the two winch crew uh, the two pilots, Dara Fitzpatrick and Mark Duffy, their bodies were recovered. But Paul Ormsby, Paul Ormsby and Kieran Smith, who are the winch team, um, they're still missing. Yeah. Uh, their bodies haven't been recovered. But during those long days of the search in the hall, I was talking to Kieran Smith's mother, Teresa, and I had written a book. Uh, published in 2004 on helicopter search and rescue primarily, although we have a wonderful lifeboat service too, and you have many stations down there on the Cork coastline. But um, I was talking to Teresa about the fact that Kieran had um, spoken to me for the first book that was called Mayday about some of his rescues when he was with the Air Corps, including one where he had picked a swimmer up who was being bashed against the rocks up on the north coast. And the swimmer was losing consciousness and he said he had to keep sort of slapping his face to keep him conscious. And he thought all the people watching would think something rather strange. But um, he was uh, really, really experienced, as was Paul Ormsby. And they, um, the Smiths then said, well, you know, maybe you should update the book now. So uh, that was really where it started, up mm. in the hall in Ochlame. Uh, when it was in the middle of the search still for the two men. Yeah. I had actually forgotten that those two bodies have never been found. I'd forgotten that, Lorna. Um, and that, that yeah. we're thinking about that because you do a really deep dive into problems within the service, but also you look in extraordinary detail at the the hours and indeed the weeks moving up, leading up to this crash because I think it's a crash that was foreseen and warned about. Well, certainly within the first week of the crash, um, I'm sure your listeners will remember the primetime first report. And there was a number of primetime programs that Katie Hannan presented where um, issues with navigation, with the electronic equipment in the uh, helicopters, that uh, positions were faulty, heights were wrong, um, black 
Rock Island, which is west of Black Sod. They were approaching Black Sod to refuel. So what they had done was they flew from Dublin. They were crossing the country. They thought they might refuel in Sligo, but then they did their calculations and realized that they would save a bit of time by heading to Black Sod. And they got weather forecasts. But one of the weather forecasts that they got from Black Sod in North Mayo had referred to some low cloud coming in and they didn't actually hear that bit. Um, but they did hear that the weather was generally fine. And of course, the conditions can change, as you know, down the core coast. You know, you can have beautiful weather and next thing the cloud is coming in and then the cloud disappears again. So they decided to go for um, Black Sod. And to do that, they took this southern approach route. They had a number of approach routes that they could take uh, that were in their system. And this one uh, involved flying out to sea and then uh, doing a loop and coming back in again but flying over Black Rock Island, which is um, 282 foot with, with a lighthouse on top of it. It's just an unoccupied rock uh, west of uh, Black Sod. And, and that was just, that was a waypoint on that route. In other words, the, um, the uh, system that they were flying on was actually going to take them straight to Black Rock as part of a series of stepping stones into Black Sod. So, Issues with heights, locations of not just uh, Black Rock, but um, other um, uh, navigational marks all around the coast. Um, these came up very early on, even before the first preliminary report was published into the crash. Yeah, you go into uh, all those details, extraordinary detail, uh, and then you look at the final report. What conclusions personally have you formed, Lorna, about that crash? Totally avoidable? Well, bad, bad, you know, was it, was it totally avoidable? Well, I think that's certainly, that's what the families would feel. And yeah. um, uh, the very comprehensive Air Accident Investigation Unit final report, which was published late last year, uh, that's nearly five years after the crash. And the reason for the delay was because they had completed a draft two years before and it was circulated to all stakeholders, uh, including the families, uh, the employer, CHC Ireland, um, the various stakeholders, Department of Transport, Irish Coast Guard, Irish Aviation Authority. And there was a request by CHC Ireland for a re review of the report and that took two years. So um, nearly five years later, this very comprehensive report, which um, uh, made a number of recommendations and, um, you know, identified a number of, of, of. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Of serious difficulties in relation to not just the navigation, but also training and um, mm. support for the crew. Yeah, there was a, a quote, a quote that you came across that someday someone's going to run into that island. Yeah, this came up um, at the review. Um, uh, it, it was a, some confidential um, information that had been given by one of the pilots to um, the review, and he. Uh, it was. It was. Uh, sorry, to the original investigation, and then it was presented to the review, and he talked about how he would. Um, he would be flying into Black Sod from Dublin and how easy it could be to look at Black Sod on the flight management system and think that there was nothing there yeah. because it would look like a tiny dot. And then if you didn't know about Black Rock Island to the west of it and if you missed the little red dot um, or if you had a waypoint painted on it, on your systems, you wouldn't see it at all. And then he remembered that one of the winch crew, the winch operator in the helicopter with him, was looking at Black Rock Island and said, someday somebody is going to run into that island because it was enormous. Yeah, and how, how, how prophetic that was. You also look into the, the early years of our air, sea and helicopter rescue, uh, the Air Corps, how it all started. So as well as focusing in the detail you do on Flight 116, you look at, at the history and other incidents that come to mind that we might have forgotten. Yeah, and um, well, I suppose the the pioneering work of the Air Corps and um, also um, the RAF and and the British Navy, they were undertaking a lot of long distance um, search and rescue missions off this coast. And then the uh, campaign by Donegal woman Joan McGinley, uh, which would have involved um, some people down from your neck of the woods because she set up a committee to improve the cover for West Coast and Southwest Coast Search and Rescue, which uh, led to what we know now as the Irish Coast Guard mm. with four bases and um, a much extended RNLI lifeboat station network as well. So, um, and you know, there was a there was there was a there was a near miss involving a Sikorsky, a Shannon Sikorsky, um, off the west coast in 1993. Um, 
mainly it is focused on helicopter rescue but I do go into uh, the wonderful work of the RNLI and it's just a snapshot so obviously it's heartbreaking because there's so many great rescues that uh, there just wasn't space to report on but I suppose Baltimore Kieran Cotter the retired coxswain from Baltimore you know his experience going way back to the fast yacht race and then the rescue of Charles Hawhey and and then more recently the Rambler yacht rescue um, in 2011 off Baltimore um, during the fast yacht race when they lost their keel. And again, the Baltimore lifeboat was out and, and they actually had an RLI photographer with them who was able to get great photographs. We take these people and their work so much for granted, don't we, Lorna, that they just get on about it. We never we never really think about them and we, and we definitely should. Also, you come right up to 2020, the summer of 2020, and those two young kids who went missing in Galway on paddleboards. Now, that was a miracle. It was really, yeah, August 2020. And I suppose a bit like people might remember where they were when they heard about the crash of uh, Rescue 116 or indeed the crash of the Air Corps helicopter off Tremor in 1999. People might remember where they were when they heard that two young women who were reported missing had actually been found alive because really very few people thought that they were going to survive when they were still out there overnight because it, although it was August, the conditions were really bad. They went from a beautiful hot evening to this uh, thunder and lightning storm. And Typical sea. Irish summer, really. Yeah, and it really whipped up and, and they didn't have wetsuits. They did have life jackets, but they were in their swimming togs on these um, little paddle boards and the northeasterly winds just carried them out because the paddle board wasn't a sort of a rigid one. It was an inflatable one. So the two paddle boards became like sails with this northeasterly wind, carried them right out to the mouth of the bay. And if they hadn't seen this marker boy for a crab pot owned by an Iron Island fisherman and were able to grab hold of it, you know, who knows where they would have ended up. And that was where they were found by the two Clada fishermen, Patrick and Morgan Oliver, the father and son who just came out of the Clada, looked at the wind and they were talking, obviously, to their colleagues and uh, they headed straight out to the southernmost Iron Island. And Patrick had brought his credit card because he figured with the wind direction that they were being carried right out to sea and that he would have to go into the Iron Islands to refuel. But as it turned out, um, Morgan saw them before that happened. That's an amazing story. It's one of many in the book, uh, which is out now. It's called Search and Rescue. Uh, Lorna Stiggins, thank you very much. It's the true stories of Irish air sea rescues and the loss of 116. It goes into a lot of detail about the loss of 116. Um, It's just a very solid read and very well presented. A real deep dive into our air sea rescue service and the problems within. It doesn't flinch and the problems are within. So it's not just a book full of stories about wonderful bravery and the great people that do it. It's a, a, a deep dive into the problems with which they have to work. Thanks, Lorna. 0818 96 96 96. Quick mention for the five kilometre cheetah run at Photo Wildlife Park. It's on tomorrow evening. There are still some places left. Anybody wants to sign up, the organisers will take entries up to midnight tonight. All money raised goes directly to Photo Wildlife Park, and you can sign up online. And some of your comments earlier on on meal deals. Remember, we started the morning uh, talking to Dr. John Sheehan because there's a, a head honcho in the HSE 
He is the head of their campaign against obesity. Uh, his name is Dr. Donald O'Shea. And he believes that we should now look at banning meal deals, things like, you know, Turk, uh, sandwich and a drink and a bag of crisps. We should ban those meal deals or we should ban meal deals in, in fast food as part of the battle with obesity. And Dr. John Sheehan was saying, look, it sounds a bit over the top, but so too did the smoking ban and so do, too did other public health measures that we've taken on board over the years. But maybe John was saying education rather than legislation it's a way forward. Some of your comments on that, I'm holding them over and I'll get to them in a while. 0818 96 96 96. Am I going to that? Okay. I want to talk to Lisa. Uh, Lisa Brown. We, were, we had, we featured, well, there was a documentary on the television a few weeks ago. And we featured the work of Cleaners Foundation. And one of these charities you might never have heard about until someone went and made a wonderful documentary about them for for Virgin Media and we talked to one of the families involved in that documentary Um, now Lisa Brown good morning to you hello PJ how are you good tell me about Faith you have benefited with from the work of Cleans Foundation but tell me about Faith and the garden Um, Faith is she's now eight and a half years old Um, she was born at 30 weeks with a condition called non-immune hydrops. It's extra fluid in around the, the baby's organs. Um, she was given 10% chance of survival as a full-term baby, so she wasn't given much of hope. Yeah. Um, she spent three months in the, the neonatal in Cork she has cerebral palsy, she has epilepsy, and she was born deaf in both ears. So she wears cochlear implants to help with her speech and hearing, but she's a pure little chatterbox now. Good for her. Good for her. And she's had five surgeries to date. Um, Her last surgery being the hardest one was reconstructive hip surgery. It was uh, quite difficult. She was in a lot of pain, and but she's doing great now at the moment. She's just gone back to school after three months. Um, she's the happiest, smiliest, funny little girl, and she she always makes us happy when times are tough. Now, how did cleaners come into your lives? Cleaners came into our lives um, when Faith was a bit younger. Um, I heard of the foundation and the fantastic work that they do. So we were kind of struggling financially to for Faith's medical expenses and stuff like that. And I just rang Cleaners and they helped us. They went beyond above and beyond with helping us with financial worries and everything like that. Um, Mm, Terry and Brendan are fantastic with what they do for families like us. They just, they just go above and beyond for, 
for just helping us out, taking the stress and the worries away, which is fantastic. And we're just blessed that we have them in our lives. Because they they believe that no family should ever have to worry about the cost of minding a sick child. Oh, definitely. And minding a sick child is one of the hardest things that a parent will ever have to do financially, physically, emotionally. It just all gets on top of us. And with Cleaners Foundation, they're just absolutely fantastic. They take the burden off us as much as they can. And as I say, we're blessed. Now tell me about the garden, because this is a lovely, lovely story. Um, I suppose fate, fate is such, she's just really outgoing person. Um, she loves being outside. She loves playgrounds. She loves all them kind of things. But fate had, she had quite a fall last year, um, out the side of our house where it's all curbs and out the back. And as her mother, I just panicked. I just said to Dave, Dave, it's her dad. I just said, we just we just need to get this back. Um, wheelchair friendly mm. and safe for fate. And we were actually, we just actually sat down and said, how are we going to cover the costs of this? So we were actually going to sell our family car to, to cover the cost of it. Okay. Um, and you rang, so did you ring I just, or did they ring you? I did. Um, I just wanted some advice. Did, did Terry know of someone that could help us in something that we could do for her to make it accessible? But I thought nothing of it. Um, Terry just said to leave it with her. And that was basically how it started. Terry came back to me after a couple of weeks and she said, um, you don't have to sell the car, she said, because there's someone that is willing to come on board and do the garden for fate. So... You could imagine I was just shocked. Um, there was a few tears shed, sure. and I just, I just couldn't believe it. And the fantastic, there's a fantastic team on board. There is Cleaners Foundation. There is Tom O'Connor Konak Constructions. There is Michael Healy Architect, and all there's a load of people. There's about seven or eight involved. And they called to the house and it was an emotional day, but I just can't wait for the finished product. So so literally one phone call to Cleaners Foundation <laughs> to see was there anyone who yeah. might help. Yes. And the whole thing is they done. Came... Will be done. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I say, it is, it's fantastic and... You have to go to Cleaners Foundation Facebook page to see everything that they do for families. Yeah, it's, they, as I said, it's they're a, just. It's a charity that I had never heard of until we talked a few weeks ago about the documentary. But they seem to be doing this extraordinary work. I just can't be one phone yes. call, and she said, "Leave it with me." And now yeah. Faith will have her garden. 
yeah, Faith will have a beautiful garden. Um, she's going to be able to go out. She's going to be safe. She's going to have her own space where she can play with her own stuff. Um, you know, it's going to be fantastic for her because Faith is confined to the house mostly with myself and Dave. Um, we kind of look after Faith ourselves. Mm. But it's like lifting her out of the wheelchair up to the back, didn't take her from the back, back into the wheelchair, into the house. Do you know, she had nothing to, to kind of get her motivated. Mm-hmm. But when she sees the garden and the finished project, I just can't wait to see her little bet, face. I'll, yeah, I'll bet you can't wait for that moment when you open the back door and there it is. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I just, I just can't wait to see her, her reaction. Lisa, I know you were very nervous about this. Um, thank you so much. You've done a super job talking to me today. Really have. Thanks. I know Thanks. you were. I know you were. They were telling me she's very nervous. She's very nervous. She did great. Yes, yeah. Said, I'm just, we, I'm yeah. just a nervous person as it is. Um, I'm just, I'm just. I suppose it's just. Just the way I am since fate was born. Do you, but know what, do you know what it is, Lisa? When you have a child like Faith with the needs that she mm-hmm. has, you find yes. something within yourself to allow you to do stuff like this. Yes, um, definitely. Faith just, she has the, the strength of, like she has the strength of lines and she's the one that keeps me going. All right. Well, listen, the best to you and the best to, is it Davis, her dad's name, said? Davis, yeah. Uh, David. And, and to Faith. And you know what I'd love? I'd love to see a photograph of the garden when it goes in. Fantastic, yeah. Could you send me a before and after picture? Would that be, would that be okay? I can. Yeah, no problem. That. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Because the more I hear about the work at Cleanliness Foundation, the more incredible they seem to be. Lisa, thank you. Yeah. And the best to the family, all right? Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, That's Lisa Brown. And we're going to see this before and after. I'll get those photographs sent in. This incredible foundation of people set up by by parents, Brendan and Terry, after they lost their daughter. And they believe that no family should have to endure financial difficulty caring for a sick child. And she she rang them up. Lisa rang and said, listen, um, we might have to sell the car. Is there anyone that might help us out here? designed this garden and they got a call back to say forget it keep the car you won't be selling the car it's all sorted and Konak Construction and Helian Partners Architects and others this Cleanness Foundation is the most wonderful thing I've heard about in a long time Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, you've been hearing about it in the radio news there during the morning and there's good coverage in the newspapers today. Some great headlines, I have to say. 
in some of the newspapers. We were all invited up yesterday to the Cork Prison, the new Cork Prison, to see this pop-up restaurant, The Open Door. It's a project involving MTU and the prison and some other wonderful organisations. And we got a chance to meet some of the prisoners involved in training for this restaurant. Uh, the restaurant itself happened last night, but we were up there for the afternoon just to see the preparation of the food and, and meet the people involved. And you've been hearing about it in the news during the morning. We've put a little package together for you, uh, for a flavour of it, <laughs> flavour, restaurant flavour, before the end of the programme. So we will get to that. So met some great people. Met two lovely young lads, uh, Pablo and Paddy, who are serving their time for what they did. Uh, but they're learning, and they've been learning on this course, uh, culinary skills, kitchen skills, and they're both now hoping to get out and work professionally in the industry. And it's, it's all about a second chance, and that everybody is entitled to a second chance and sometimes they're tied to just a first chance as, as we'll hear that's a little bit later 0818 96 96 96 also we'll come back to the meal deal some of you not impressed with doctors looking for meal deals a ban on meal deals and saying there are other things to be sorted out within the HSE rather than banning the meal deal. That and plenty more besides between this and quitting time at 12. Now I was talking to Damien Long a few weeks ago from West Cork Connect and, and it was Damien who brought it to our attention here on the opinion line that those bus stops on Patrick's Key were being done away with uh, at the end of this month and um, to make way for a cycle lane and other such things. And at the time, Damien was very annoyed about it because it was a serious risk to his business. And I know there have been some some meetings had and some agreements reached with, with regard to that. And we'll come back to it, Damien, in a few minutes. But there have been some fare reductions brought in uh, up and down the country, uh, leap card fare, fare reductions for people. And it's all great. It's all part of this drive to have us take more public transport. I noticed myself, for example, my, my leap card fee or fare into town now has gone from 168 to 135, and it's great. But companies like West Cork Connect, Damien, you're not allowed to avail of this. Good morning. Morning, Peter. How are you? Good. Um, no, look, there's no private uh, service operator in Ireland allowed avail of it. And outside of Dublin, the private operators carry 52% of the passengers around rural Ireland. So like you're talking about 52% of passengers in rural Ireland are not allowed, are not able to, to get this money, which this was meant for. Um, like PJ, this... We, we're not asking to be subsidised. None of the private operators are asking to be subsidised. We don't need to be subsidised. We're, we're, we're plenty profitable. There's no problem with our business that way. But this money was not for to subsidise transport companies. This is to subsidise the people of Ireland and the students of Ireland. Um, this was given due to the rise and cost of living. And that's what this was brought in for. So, um, like, it makes no difference to us if we get it or, or if we don't because we'll still get the same price to go to Cork from Skibbereen or from Clan or something. You know, look, if we're, if we're 10 euros return and the government give 50% off, it's for the people. They're paying the 50% to us for the person who's travelling on board. So we're still getting the same money. It's no advantage, no gain to us. Yeah. But to our passengers, it is. Now, compare and, and contrast, um, Damien. So I get on your bus in the morning at Skibbereen, say, yeah. uh, to get into to town. How much does it cost me? Uh, well, as an adult, you're 18 euros return. Um, as a student, you would be 14 euros return. And our student leap card fare 
would be 10 euros return. And if the discounts so, were applied, what would it cost me? I'm sure if the discount was 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 applied, you know, as a student, you would be getting from Skibbereen up to Cork City and down again for, it would be, it would cost you somewhere around 6 euros return, I think is what I was working out on a leap card. Right. So, like, you would be travelling very cheap. I mean, look, the difference in the fares is if you, do, if you take 20% for the adults before they started, both fare would be 34 euros to go from Skibbereen to Cork, we would be 18. Even when you take the 20% off their fare, we're still away under it, but if you get the 20% off our fare, it brings it down significantly for yeah. people again. Um, and it's the same in, in all Hold over on, Ireland. You take my leap card, do you? I do. I take your leap card. I take free travel passes. We take we take everything, and we're allowed to take the leap card. And we've got a government machine, which is a leap card uh, machine. But but any fares we give, we take those reductions ourselves on the leap card. We don't get paid um, by the government for that. But but the reduction yeah, I'm entitled to on my leap card on other services, I'm not entitled to on your service. Not the fifty percent reduction. No, no. And even with the 50% reduction, we're still cheaper at the yeah. moment. Yeah. So, like, if you give us a 50% reduction, people in West Cork will be travelling for, for very little, very, very little money. I mean, I'll go get into Cork for one way for, for, for four euros, three or four euros. Yeah. You know, from Bandon, you're talking about getting in for one euro, 60 cents, like, with us into Cork. Like, so, I mean, like, that's the difference if private companies were given it. And again... It is not, and like I have to say that because some people think it's we're looking to be subsidised. We're plenty profitable. We don't want any subsidies. Yes, we don't need it all. It's the people, the passengers. This is all for the passengers. It's not for for us. So like, um, and I don't see why the government left fifty two percent of rural Ireland out. They didn't think of it at all. I, I I genuinely don't even think the minister for transport, Eamon Ryan, even knew we existed anyway in the first place when he mentioned this when he gave it out. Mm. So um, there is there is talk that. On the 1st of September, before the colleges go back, we will be given the 50% U travel card. We will be given the 50% off U travel card. That's an agreement that they've made, and that's an agreement they're trying to put in place at the moment. Okay, okay. Um, we'll see where that we'll, goes. We'll, we'll see where it goes, yeah. Come back to the bus stops on uh, Patrick's Quay, because I think even though it had been going around in the ether, um, it was an eye opener for, for many of our listeners uh, that the all the bus stops were being done away with down on Patrick's Quay from the end of this month, which is only in a, a week and a bit from yeah. now. And you were concerned, for example, coming again to coming up from Skibbereen at whatever time, six o'clock in the morning, and you can get to Patrick's Quay just in time to tick tack grand and handy, with the Dublin Airport bus. But the, these changes would would make that more difficult. Where you, you, I know you were going to talk to uh, talk to some officials about that. What's happening now? Yeah, well, look, just to go back to it, the removal of buses from Patrick's Key was the craziest decision you're ever going to see happen inside in Cork City. It happened. It shouldn't have happened. It was a mistake, um, and they'll pay for their mistake in the long run, unfortunately. But the problem being here was this went through was a part eight. It was signed off by city councillors, and from what I can understand city councillors didn't have the full rundown of what they were actually signing off on in the first place. It should never have been removed. But look, we were being moved to Anderson's Key. It was going to be impossible to run our business from there. Um, thankfully, there was a meeting last Monday with ourselves, city mayor, uh, with the, the Lord Mayor. Um, there was city councillors, TDs, everything turned up for it because everybody was worried about this. Um, and, and, and look, a bit of common sense prevailed in the end. We didn't get to where we wanted to go, but we'd been moved further down Patrick's Key just on to... Um, Penrose Key there, just down the, down, down the key further where, where we're being given a new bus stop. So the other side of the bridge, in other words? 
Um, same side as Patrick's key, but uh, yeah, same side as Patrick's key, just just lower down, um, just just the, the the other side of the traffic lights on Patrick's key. But yeah. we'd still be on the same same side as the key. Gotcha. Um, it's better than Anderson's key. It was never going to work on Anderson's key. Um, we're very close now to the air coach and, and the go bus is going to Dublin, a bit further away from the city links, which they've, they've spread out too far. But look, um, I think that it's a great start to see us on on the key there on Penrose Key. And I, I, I think over the next couple of days, I think they'll they'll pull themselves together now and I think they'll put all the buses on Penrose Key. I think there's a bit of a drive for it at the moment. The other operators are looking to go there as well. It wasn't an option before last Monday. Mm. I think I think thankfully a few good heads stepped up there. City councillors that were excellent um, stepped up and, and even said, look, this should have happened in the first place. They shouldn't have been spread out. Connectivity in Cork City shouldn't have been lost. And uh, thankfully, I've said, please, let us know we're getting the first bus stop on Penrose Key. And I'm hoping the rest of the companies are going to follow over the next couple of days okay. and get their bus stop behind us, which which will mean that Patrick's Key will just move back down to Penrose Key. Key and the whole idea will be replicated the, again if... The, if the great convenience of it will be will be repeated. Now you have to have one bus behind the other. You have to have that convenience when we come up on a winter's day and then it's lashing rain. You can't be taking out two big suitcases and, 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 and walking ten minutes to the next bus and probably missing that bus. Yeah. Look, you can it's all about connectivity and they talk about connectivity, but sure, why would you take away the connectivity? It made no sense what they did, but look I'm hoping I'm hoping since Monday there's been there's you know there's been a good rally in this. There's okay. City councillors are using their heads now and they're putting it together. The, the Lord Mayor was excellent. I, I will have to say one thing about Colin Keller. Most level-headed man I've ever met. Um, a great man. It's, it's serious, serious man for sitting down and getting things done good. and getting it right and looking at it properly. And I think he saw there was an issue there. And he stepped up to the plate and he said, no, we're going to fix this as quick as we can. And he was right. very good. Good to hear it. Damien, thank you very much. Damien Long from West Cork Connect Bus Service. So, and we'll come back to you, Damien, on this. If if we do get to a point where all of the services are now going to shift down to Penrose Key, that would be a real achievement. Um, having, first of all, found the whole thing in disarray at the end of the month, or being faced with the whole lot being in disarray at the end of the month, to just moving down, logically, down to the next key. Sounds like a great idea. Thanks for that. We'll come back to it, Damien Long. And the cut price for public transport, not applying to companies like that. Now, he says they're cheaper than bus air in any way, but they can't apply the discount for their passengers because they're a private operator. 0818969696. Let us come back to a couple of your comments. We've been busy this morning. Uh, where's that gone? Yeah, I'm on the tunnel and the blockage is in the tunnel. Here's a solution. If your truck or vehicle causes the tunnel to close over breach of height regulation, you're fined €100 Euro per hour of closure. You gave the registration number, so no bother issuing the fine. Like toll dodgers, the truck... Registered owners can then take action against the driver or better again, find them for driving without due care and attention to the road and to other users, which is all very fine to whoever made that. But let's just reiterate once more what Paul, who sounds like a trucker, has been saying about the height restriction warning. Maybe they haven't thought it out as well as we thought they had. PJ, in regards to the tunnel, the height restriction warning is a great idea, but not half a kilometre away from the tunnel there's nowhere to divert the big trucks then that warning, that height restriction should be back before the man exit and even further to let trucks know you've got to 
take it. The man has a point. 0818-9696 on meal deals and talking to Dr. John Sheehan and talking about the HSC's desire or the uh, head of obesity or the man looking after obesity within the HSE, his desire to maybe clamp down on meal deals. I, I speak of uh, Dr. Donald O'Shea. PJ, with due respect, he can grab a meal deal and shove it. Maybe sort out the mess that is the healthcare system with the overcrowding, lack of beds, the backlogs. We're under enough pressure with prices on the rise as it is without having to pay more for our lunch. Kate says, by me you see this every lunchtime with kids lining up for delis, for sausage rolls and wedges. I don't know how you'd stop it. Schools have enough on their plates. <laughs> An apple doesn't work for PMS. Thanks, men. Okay. Uh, HSE need to get their own house in order before they can dictate what others can or should do. Dr. John Sheen was saying in part of that conversation, look, we thought that the idea of a smoking ban was crackers. But we came around to it and no one would dream of smoking indoors now. And all of that. Healthy choices, says this message. Smoking ban. Last time I checked, it's legal for a 15-year-old to buy a vape here. The prices are starting in a fiver. Can we also do something about that? It's a very low age, higher than other European countries. Higher in other European countries. The Cork truck driver says banning these things won't work. The products can still be bought separately to form a meal deal. What does it do is push up the price and the resultant tax take. I don't know how that man on air is comparing smoking indoors. This is Dr. Sheehan. Smoking indoors, drink driving and wearing a seatbelt to buying a meal deal. I know I buy a meal deal to save money. And they're usually the items that you'd buy anyway. You're just saving a few bob with the deal. I'd always buy a drink when I'm buying a filled roll in a deli. Or if I'm getting a burger in a chipper, I'll always buy chips. Not buying it because it's part of a deal. But I've saved money along the way, then happy days. For certain, I won't gain from the banning the meal deal. It won't stop me from gaining weight. It'll just make me spend more money. Comparing to someone drinking a lash of pints and driving home, or letting up a cigarette in the staff room, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96FM.ie Sunday, May 22nd is our special end-of-season show. Coverage, commentary and interviews. Get all the dramatic twists and turns on the final day of the Premier League. Number one, that's top of the league. The Premier League Live. With now, stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. Cork's 96fm. Now, I remember the last time I spoke to Louise O'Neill on the opinion line. She had uh, just been conferred with an honorary doctorate at uh, UCC. And we were saying that the next time I had you on, I, I had to talk to you or address you as. As, as Dr. O'Neill. Have you dropped that one now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I insist on that, PJ. <laughs> Wherever I go, I absolutely insist that people refer to me by my, you know, my correct title. <laughs> Louise, um, your new book has again shot to the number one spot after, I'd say it's barely on in, in the shops 
a week and we talked about it at the time of the doctorate you, you told me it was another one uh, along a similar line an, un- an underlying theme of mystery and strange behaviour and things that you like to write about and it will be out in May it is out and it's number one congratulations on that Oh, thank you so much PJ I'm, I'm delighted mm, and you're already writing another one Yes, for my sins. Um, you know, just have to keep busy. Um, well, actually, I think it's more that I signed a contract and they expect me to de- deliver it in August. So oh, really? That, that, you'll be surprised um, by uh, how the threat of legal action will sort of keep, keep you motivated. Now, again, you're tackling issues that you, you always pick issues that others don't write about. Uh, I've noticed mm. that with your books over the years and, and that that's you as a writer anyway. This is a strange mm. story about the times in which we live and the mm. influencer culture and the central character mm. of of it, of Idol, is Samantha Miller. Tell me mm. about her. Yes, well, Samantha Miller is an American wellness influencer. Um, so she's very beautiful, very powerful, very successful, incredibly wealthy, um, has millions of followers on social media and travels all across the world, you know, giving motivational speeches to her girls, as she calls them. Um, and, you know, when her new book comes out, she writes this essay um, to promote it. Um, and the essay is about a sexual experience that she had as a teenager with her then best friend, Lisa. The essay goes viral. But then Lisa gets back in contact for the first time in 22 years. And she says, that's not quite how she remembers that night. That her memory of what happened between her and Sam is much darker. There's a number of issues in there. Pick them out for me. Mm. What are you address? What individual issues are you yeah. addressing? Well, I suppose, I mean, I saw a review headline the other day and it said that Idol was a searing look at sex and power and celebrity. Um, and I agree with that. And I, I suppose it's also dealing with themes I've been exploring throughout my entire career. You know, yes, sex and power, but also consent and relationships and what happens when, I suppose, hurt people hurt other people. Um, and there's also a lot about, you know, memory uh, memory is a really central theme um, in the book, um, and I suppose how that intersects with trauma, which is something that I'm, you know, absolutely like fascinated by. But you know, at the heart of it, Idol is still a thriller. Um, I suppose you know you're kind of racing through the story to find out um, which one of these two women is telling the truth, because they're both so determined that that their truth is the truth, and they're both so credible in their telling of that truth. Yes, and I suppose well, credible and um, fallible in in equal ways. And I think actually that's very you know with um, in Idol, um, as I said, Samantha is this incredibly you know wealthy influencer, and Lisa, you know, is a stay at home mother, still lives in their um, hometown, um, and you know, I suppose their recollection of this one night is is in direct conflict um, with each other, um, and. I suppose for me, it's really interesting sort of like looking at memory because I think we've all had that experience of, 
you know, particularly, let's say, with siblings, where you'll remember something from your childhood um, mm. and the way in which they remember it might be very, very different. Um, and I suppose for Samantha in Idol, um, her memories really form her sense of self. They form the way she looks at herself, the way she sees herself in the world, um, because so much of her self-belief is predicated on this idea of I am a good person. Um, and I think when Lisa comes along and threatens to undermine her memories and therefore undermine her sense of self, Sam feels very threatened by that um, mm. and will do. She, I mean, she goes to increasingly desperate lengths, um, I think, to um, protect her memories and to protect her sense of self. Mm. It, it's a cursory lesson, too, I think, Louise, on for anyone in social media or any kind of media, if you're going to tell a story about the past and if you're going to name someone as part of Mm. that story, it might be handy to get in touch with them first and say, is this... Has you because because yeah. that would well, have PJ, been if she had done that there'd be no book. So this is like. true. This is true. This, but it is that salutary lesson for 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 anyone you know. So oh no, definitely. And I suppose again, you know, a lot of this is you know I suppose who who gets to tell the story and because Samantha is in a position of power yes. um, and has a ready audience, she's the one holding the microphone, um, so to speak. Um, so I suppose it it it. it it makes it that much more difficult for Lisa even to um, sort of wrestle that story from her. And she comes back to her hometown then to try Mm. to seek out Lisa and and settle it, smooth the waters, patch it up. And that's where it starts to get really complicated. Yes. I mean, Samantha is a master manipulator um, and is incredibly charismatic and sort of won't take no for an answer. Um, And I think it's really interesting, I suppose, when she does go home to her um, hometown to reconcile with Lisa. um, And both of these women see themselves as the victim of the other one's behaviour. They think that the other person has hurt them in an irrevocable way. Um, And I suppose what's really compelling is that they're still so drawn towards each other that like in a way Sam and Lisa are the loves of each other's lives Um, and I think it's I think it's very true I mean I suppose we can still love the people who have hurt us the most and I think sometimes people maybe don't understand that when they're talking about you know um, survivors of of sexual violence or sexual trauma Mm -hmm. and that it's not particularly if you know the person you know it's not as easy just to say well, screw you. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it's very complicated, I suppose. Yeah. And their relationship is very complicated. But yeah. I suppose writing that friendship in Idol, um, particularly the flashbacks to kind of the, the late 90s, early 2000s with that very intense teenage friendship, like it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun to write, for, you know, on, on a personal level. And I hope that comes across to the yeah. reader. Well, one thing that you do in all your books is you take a very serious element of subject matter and you always manage to keep us turning the pages knowing there's something coming there's something coming we have no idea what it is but there's something Mm. coming and you slam it with us at the very end (laughs) yeah the ending of this one always catch us out yeah I, I did get a lot of messages from people who were reading Idol um, sort of there and um, when Sam goes home you know she and Lisa start planning Lisa's 40th birthday party and from sort of the birthday party on I was getting a lot of messages like oh my god oh my god I can't believe this and it's always lovely to I suppose feel like you you have the ability to surprise the reader um, in that way but I think PJ like to be honest I mean I am a storyteller mm. so 
you know, you can, of course, um, I suppose, touch on serious topics and topics that need uh, conversation, you know, need to be talked about, whether, you know, that is consent or whether it's, you know, false rape allegations or, you know, whatever, um, and trauma and memory. But I think as a writer, as a storyteller, for me, the most important thing is still the plot, is still keeping the pace really tight, is making mm-hmm. sure that, you know, that the reader is sort of racing to find out, um, uh, to find out what happened, because, you know, no one wants to read a sort of boring diatribe um, mm. on social issues. Um, I think that the the story has to, you know, it has to be compelling. That's the most important thing. Do you prefer being Louise through fiction or non-fiction, through fiction or columns? Which do you prefer being Louise through? Um, oh, that's a very good question. Um, I think I prefer fiction. Um, I think I can be more honest in the fiction um in a way because i suppose it's not me you know like there's a uh, sometimes it feels like i'm sort of living out um uh, like an alter ego's uh ideas or you know or fantasies or whatever um through some of the for, through some of these other um characters um and i also think you know my column is quite short i mean um i have maybe 800 words to kind of play around with whereas i i do love i suppose the scope of a novel um to expand on these ideas and you know with um idol um i wrote most of it uh during lockdown um and i think because i was so engrossed in it and because i was so i felt really creatively inspired when i was writing idol um and i think that just I, I don't know, I suppose maybe I was one of the few people during lockdown who was waking up feeling very excited to get to her desk because I just wanted to write this story and write about Sam and Lisa and, and uh, their relationship and all of these very complicated, nuanced uh, subject, you know, um, issues. And um, yeah, I think, you know, I suppose, so I, I would say probably fiction. That's a great question, though. I don't think anyone's <laughs> asked me that before. Someone else asked you, uh do you think it would be nice to be an influencer having written about one? No, I don't know. Honestly, I think it looks like a really hard job. Um, you know, I mean, I even th- was really thinking about that when I was writing Idol with, um, you know, with Sam. Like, you know, she has found a way to monetize the most traumatic things that have ever happened to her, like her childhood and her her assault. And, um, and she sort of mines her own life for content. And I think that when you do that and when you're letting people in, the way that Sam does and the way I think other influencers have to in order to make a living. I think it's very hard then to sort of put up boundaries and say, no, that's enough. Um, and in Idol, when the um, allegations of abuse are leaked, um, you know, uh, Sam's girls turn on her yeah. very quickly. Um, and I think that, you know, the way in which she copes with that and, and her life unravelling at a, at, a, at a very rapid pace um, is quite unnerving, um, I think. But yeah. um Hopefully, hopefully entertaining for the reader. <laughs> the, the, the way an inf- a very real look, I think, at the way an influencer's entire kingdom, for want of a better word, mm. can crash around their ears yeah. in a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and I think as well, PJ, like when we're when we're talking about these things, I think it's really important um, to note that you know, for most influencers, I think. You know, particularly if they're sort of in fashion or in um, in beauty or, you know, like that's pretty innocuous. But I suppose when when you're in the wellness space, which which um, Sam is in Idol, like I do think there has to be stricter regulations around what you can and can't say, you know, particularly if you're making health claims um, about mm 
you know, you're you're you know, you're talking to people who are very vulnerable and, and who might be dealing with very serious illnesses. Um, and I did think it was quite funny in Idol. There's this section where she talks about how she got in trouble during the pandemic because she was selling, you know, um, uh, like a kind of bloodstone pendants to yeah. ward off infection and um, and you know like special vitamins and um, or vitamins as they would say in America um, and um, I, that part was quite like I found a lot of it like I mean quite amusing to write um, you know particularly when you're kind of almost leaning into that kind of satirical element yeah. of uh, of a lot of the the nonsense I suppose that that can surround um, uh, even though I I'm, I must say I, I I do love a lot of um, new age uh, kind of thought but. Um, some of it can be a little bit outlandish. And she's not as sweet as she's painted either. And that breaks through. And you go, ah, yeah. she's lo- oh, God, she's not as lovely as I thought she was. And, and you know, there's... there's <laughs> But in fairness, PJ, are any of us as lovely as maybe, uh, you know, like none, none of us are perfect, you know? You you have written this based in America, but I sometimes, I somehow think that you've written it based in America because uh, you'd like it to be pulled up for television. It's <laughs> I don't know. That's very cynical, PJ. Um, but you wouldn't turn well, it down, I mean, Louise. Reese, oh, no, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I mean, Reese Witherspoon would make an amazing Samantha Miller. Um, and I know that um, even people have suggested. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, to be honest, the, the reason why um, I set it in America was because there's a real earnestness um, to Sam. And like she takes herself very seriously. She, you know, she takes her um, her wellness empire, you know, Shakti very seriously. And I don't know if that would really work in an Irish yeah. context. I just think we're, we're not. I don't know. There's something about the American dream, I think, that ties very well in with that. Um, but, but I just we'd, didn't we'd, think we'd it would buy it as an American night. show, but maybe not based in Ireland. Louise, listen, always great to talk to you. Good luck with it. Uh, you, you continue to, to deliver super fiction, and, and it's always great to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much, that. PJ. And you'll be at the West thank Cork you. Literary Festival in the summertime as well. Uh, so uh, that's on July 10th. Louise O'Neill, her new book called Idol, already gone to number one. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. So I have a menu in my hand, a beautifully produced, professionally produced menu for a restaurant called The Open Door. Uh, It could be any restaurant anywhere in the city, but it was in Cork Prison. And it was a once-off restaurant, a pop-up, last evening, a restaurant called The Open Door. A very special restaurant because it was staffed and the food cooked and prepared by six prisoners who had been trained in culinary skills over the last number of months. I went up there yesterday just to, to meet them and to talk about why it happened and how it happened and what their hopes are when they've taken part in this programme. The first voice you'll hear on this is the voice of the man running the course, the tutor and lecturer and all-round character, J.J. Healy. There's four starters tonight. So a little platter of four starters each person will get. Then there's, you know, the main course, which is the line of pork, but we're also doing a glazed belly of pork. And we have a nice tomato and tarragon sauce, and fondant potato and roast vegetables. And we've, we've two types of desserts there, so... Uh, actually, Paolo, yes. can you bring in the two desserts, so, you know, one of each, the finished one that you've done? There's a board that was made here across the way in the woodwork classes. So they made a board for the... Anyone got one of those boards there? 
Paddy, will you get me aboard? Noel Murray, head of the Department of Tourism and Hospitality at Munster Technological University. Noel, tell me about the event we're here for today. This is the culmination of a number of weeks' work for these prisoners. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a pop-up restaurant tonight, uh, aptly named The Open Door here in Cork Prison. Um, so tonight we have six prisoners who have undertaken this programme of study over the last uh, nine or ten weeks. Uh, and tonight, uh, after learning all of their culinary skills over their weeks, uh, tonight's the culmination of that. So we have a pop-up restaurant where we're bringing in uh, employers from the broader tourism and hospitality industry, so people from restaurants, hotels, and indeed culinary retail outlets as well. So I suppose what's fantastic about this initiative is not only are we developing a skill set in prisoners, uh, we are giving them the opportunity to look for employment uh, opportunities when they leave, uh, when they look to reintegrate back into society. So I think this is a fantastic way of doing that. Um, by having a pop-up restaurant, it means then we can get potential employers to come in and, and see those skill sets in action, um, actually see where these inmates are coming from, these prisoners, where they're based, but what they've learned, uh, and, and are willing then to give them an opportunity when they leave. And bringing the employer in to see them at work, that is that a new venture? Yeah, so I suppose one of the things we would have done uh, at MTU in the past is we had a taster lecture series where we've uh, academic staff from, you know, science, art, engineering, sport coming in and giving taster programs uh, to prisoners. Uh, and, then, and we delivered one in culinary. So this this particular program grew from there because we saw actually we could put a practical program in place but that the culmination would be a pop-up restaurant whereby we could have the employers uh, in situ. We saw a similar model in the UK, uh, in, uh, in a prison in the UK and we saw that this was a real opportunity because it's not just enough to develop these skill sets uh, for prisoners because when they leave maybe they don't get the chance to gain employment to actually practice and develop those skills. So this is what I think really unique and exciting about this programme. Barry Owens, IASIO, a criminal justice organisation um, that looks at social inclusion for people with convictions. What was the idea behind this event? It's, it's unusual, I've never seen anything like it before. It comes after uh, a culinary skills programme that is the first of its type, that it's a very intensive programme that teaches people real skills in demand by employers. So it is uh, giving people in prison a very real kind of access route to jobs in the community. Employers are crying out for people. So this is marrying two things. We're skilling up people here in prison and we're connecting them with employers through those skills. So something different and something very, very, uh, potentially very good. Tell me about the general work your organisation does. We help people uh, get training, education or employment and one's a step to the other. So from the criminal justice setting, we first ask, what next? What stands in your way? How can you get it? Uh, what do you want? These kinds of questions, very basic. And also, once they identify something realistic, we step out and help them get that thing. So that's the employment programs. We also run something called the resettlement service, and that helps people. It's very much uh, from the prison. Uh, so it helps people, it stabilises their release. We look at their housing needs, their welfare needs, their, say, medical card needs. So we start with resettlement planning. How do you plan and how do you make it as stable as you can? And what do you need to do that? And then there's basic applications on top of that, often around housing, often around access to services in the community. There may be homelessness issues and there may be other kind of needs that people might have. Prison is an interruption of one's life. It's an interruption that one has earned, shall we say? say um, but you've also got to look at it well when you come out of prison 
you should have an opportunity to start again and that's what you do an opportunity to start again absolutely second chances and for some people first chances because you know uh, that is often the case there are many people from very disadvantaged backgrounds that weren't given a first chance in the beginning but even if they were given a first chance this is a second chance and everybody deserves that it makes sense for the person for the community we may not be able to roll back that they were here we can't change that a crime has been committed we can affect and influence the chances of another one being committed. The more opportunity, the more choice, the more real choice, the less the chance of that happening. I'm Professor Maggie Cusack, President of Munster Technological University. The initiative came about by lecturers from MTU volunteering to provide taster lectures and they provided those on a whole range of topics, science and engineering, arts and culinary and a large number of prisoners um, participated and joined those lectures and really enjoyed them. But it was from those that the, the initiative came about. We realised there was a demand for culinary skills and that's why we created um, this programme. It's a special purpose award and it's very much a, a collaborative effort. So it's, it's staff from MTU um, in collaboration with the Irish Prison Service, with the Cork ETB and also with the Irish Association for Social Inclusion Opportunities. So a really large um, collaboration coming together. Lots of people supporting the initiative and we're really grateful for that. We're all well aware of the demand and the vacancies, the large number of vacancies. Some estimate that it's around about 40,000 vacancies in tourism and hospitality in Ireland just now. So we're really proud that this initiative um, means that people are then upskilled in a way that there's real demand for their skills. We can hear from the atmospherics around us, we are in a full working prison and the, the meal will be served on a, on a working landing within that within that prison. It's unique, Professor. It is unique and I think it's really important that um, it's not just in any generic big bland room. We're aware that we're in prison. We're aware that we're helping address some of the challenges. So I think it's uh, unique and it's something to be celebrated that we are working hard to try and make a difference and to provide um, opportunities for, for upskilling to really break patterns. Some of the thoughts of the various officials attending this event but what about the prisoners themselves that have been learning these skills and are putting them into operation at their pop-up restaurant the open door we were introduced to pablo and paddy we work in the kitchen in the prison i work all i work in the mess he works in the kitchen the mess is where we cook for the officers and um so we, i always showed an interest on, on, the, on the cooking side and i was picked what have you learned over the last couple of months We've learned a lot, a lot like um, cutting skills and how to cook properly and how to make things properly, you know, mm. with JJ. Tell me a bit about JJ. They're all talking about JJ. <laughs> uh, JJ is great. He's a great man. He's a great lecturer as well. He's um, calm and he, he teaches us a lot, you know. And are you excited about this evening? Absolutely, 100%, yeah. Like the, we're a bit nervous as well. <laughs> are you excited by the opportunity that it might give you when you've done your time? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, I'm just kind of kind of glad that we, even though we are incarcerated, we're in, we're in jail. Like, mm. we actually got to do something with it. You know, we're not we're not just looking back and saying, "Oh, sure, what do we do? We've done nothing." You know, mm. we're we're coming out of here with a qualification and we're coming out of here with experience. And a lot of a lot of people were after meeting throughout the however many weeks we were 
doing the course. So yeah, it's, it's 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 as much as going to jail isn't such a good experience, but yeah. what we done with it is, is a good experience. You know, I'm, I'm looking at your eyes lighting up as we talk. You, you can see the opportunity. Oh, 100 percent, yeah, 100 uh, percent. Just even talking to JJ, you can kind of you kind of learn a lot from him, and just yeah, he's 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 a wonderful man. He's sound out, you know. So, any, any thoughts on what you'd like to do afterwards? Well, uh, I was working as a chef on the outside, so I'm, I'm going straight back into the hospitality sector, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting out and getting back into the kitchen. The opportunity to, to get on with your life, how important, and, and to do something afterwards, how important is that to you at the end of whatever length of time you're spending here? Uh, for, to me, it's uh, very important because uh, what our family went through and what we went through as well, you know, yeah. So we don't want, I don't want, myself personally, I don't want to put my family through what they've been through at the moment, you know, so. Do you feel guilty about that? A small bit, yeah, a small bit, because, you know, there's, there's stress on the outside and worried about me. Yeah. But um, since coming here then, I showed them that all the things I've, I've taken from here, resettlement, um, psychology, counselling, drug counselling, mm-hmm. and now the MTU course as well, so they're, they're happy for being out at the moment, like, you know. Yeah. Paddy, you're, you were not in there in agreement yeah, like that. A lot of people kind of think, oh, it must be hard being in prison, but when you actually come to prison, you kind of realise that it's a lot harder on your family. You know, it's 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 not only you who has to do the sentence; it's everyone who loved you. You know what I mean? Everyone who cares for you, and that's just the way it is. You know, you just have to kind of think about the others. Whereas yeah. when you're doing what you're doing, get yourself into jail. You're not thinking about anyone yeah. other than yourself, or you're not thinking at all. You know. And, and do you get to make your peace with them? Then can you make your peace with them? Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah. Well, I suppose. With my mother, she's she's proud. My girlfriend, she's proud that I'm doing this and yeah. that I actually I can get something out of it, you know. Because jail, listen, jail's jail's no place for anyone to come, you know. We yeah. kind of we kind of realise that the hard way. So, yeah. I think that's a strong message coming out from you guys. You know, don't don't put yourself in the place that we are right yeah. now. Yeah, we all like everyone makes everyone makes mistakes, and I I, I made my mistake, and uh, I'm paying the price now. And I hope I'll never again make the mistake again, you know. And same message from you? Oh, 100%, yeah. We've kind of just had to learn from what we've done. And, yeah, and you're just hoping that the world will give you another chance and you'll exactly. grab it with both hands? Exactly, yeah. 100%. I, I, know, I know for a fact that it's after opening my eyes a lot, you know what I mean? So I'm just kind of glad it's coming to an end now, you know. This is the famous JJ. Tell us yeah. a bit about yourself. Well, I suppose uh, I've been a chef all my life and uh, I went to education late. So that's why I can kind of sort of uh, sympathise with the lads about, you know, maybe starting late at something. So I started my education when I was 37. So I went and did my degree and all that stuff. So I feel it's something you could do at any time. You know what I mean? You could change what you want to do. I mean, I'm still chefing, but I got my qualifications, which I hadn't all along. I got them later, so I'm about to finish a PhD now. A few years ago, I came in here for a lecture and this kind of came about from that, you know. So it's kind of grown from an idea of a talk to uh, an actual fully endorsed university module with uh, a five-credit certificate on it. And um, the, the lads tonight will get their certificates and all presented to them by the president of the university tonight. What's it been like working with the lads here? Oh, it's, it's great. I mean, I was... OK, it's coming into a prison, so, like, I mean, you're, you're, you're a bit... You know, there's a bit of trepidation in the beginning, but like that was easily gone after after a week or that. You know, I didn't really, I don't see anything different to teaching below in the school, below in the university. It's exactly the same. You know, like 
the lads all here they're actually probably you know they've great interest you know like you know that's the one thing you have to have is interest and reliability you know all the rest of the stuff will come you know what I mean like all the skills and you know about taste and flavour and all that stuff as long as you're interested and reliable any chef will give you a chance tonight now they're going to meet some people from industry who are you know potential employers you know so like um, two or three of them will get jobs tonight from this because they're being released soon you're that company yeah Oh, I, I am, yeah, because the ones, some of the people I know that are coming to this already have, you know, prisoners working for them, ex-prisoners working, and they, they don't see that. They want to give people a chance. You know, chefs are very good to give people a chance. Yeah. You know, you give a chance, and you, you it's either you do well or you blot your copybook, one or the other. Yeah, the second chance is so important. Oh, it's, it's, sure, look, but for the grace of God, any of us could be in here. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So, like, anything could happen, a slip of something, you know, you do something or whatever, you know. So, like, everyone deserves a second chance. You come in here, you do your time, you pay your whatever for whatever you've done, you deserve a second chance at it. 20 years ago when I was in America, my friend that trained with me was a chef in Washington, D.C. And uh, he, um, he introduced me to his head chef who had trained through the prison system in America. And that was 20 years ago. And I wasn't considered anything strange or, not, or you know, out of the norm, you know. So, like, we should be, we should be doing that. I and mean, we're crying out, looking for people to come into the industry. And they can manage this in seven weeks. If they took them under their wing out in industry, what would they do after three or four months? Peter Blank, I'm the Governor of Cop Prison. I want to showcase the skills that prisoners can learn inside in prison uh, with the idea of gaining employment when they go out, and, and that'll be part of the release plan. So every prisoner that, that comes into prison uh, is released with a plan, and it could be uh, with link workers in the community, accommodation, but we want to strengthen the release plans by having employment as part of it. So the prisoners would be interviewed for, when prisoners who have completed this course will be interviewed by employers and then they'd have a job to go to when they go out. And what this does, it, it strengthens their, their release plan, they're less likely to re-offend and come, and come back into prison, and then that, that reduces victims in the community. Peter, has the old image of prison been done away with, that it was just a place of punishment. Now it's a place to start again. Is, is that a fair assessment of the change? It, it is a very fair assessment of the, chair, of the change because when, when people come into prison, they go back out into society again. And the whole idea of when they come into prison is that they have an opportunity to uh, address their offending behaviours. Uh, we have great support inside in prison from the time a prisoner comes into custody. He's been assessed for his, his release. Uh, he's assessed by the operations staff, they're, they're assessed by the medical team, they're, uh, they're diverted towards education, uh, addictions, psychology, in re- in re- psychiatry, and the whole plan then is that the person leaves prison with a better education, more, more skills, and the confidence to go out and get employment. And what we're trying to do is that if someone comes into prison and engage in education, and they have a positive experience with education, we hope then they pass that positive experience onto their children and their siblings so that we break the cycle of people coming into prison. Some listeners might say, well, what about the victims of their crimes? You're not forgetting the victims of their crimes by teaching people to rebuild their lives, are you? No, we're, we never forget the victims of, of crime, but we're also trying to prevent future victims. Yes. Uh, I remember listening to a story that one person told me who, who works there, his, his, his mother had been mugged. But he, he, he worked very closely with prisoners who were, who were being released and putting plans together. And the reason that he was doing it was that nobody else's mother would have to go through what he went through. Mm-hmm. Because he was reducing 
the risk of that person reoffending again by putting all this work into him and making sure that he had a very strong release plan. Governor, thank you for having us here today because this is an insight, yeah. I think, for myself and certainly for listeners that we wouldn't normally get. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for coming and I'm delighted that, that you did come in today so that you can share with your listeners the positive story and the positive work that's been done in Cork Prison by prison staff and the teachers and the services who work here. And it's fantastic, fantastic to see and thank you to the Governor and everyone who welcomed us there yesterday. Michael O'Donoghue was on from the Castle Inn to say he just wants to back up the lads and say it's great the way they're turning their lives around. There's more reaction coming into this, but we are completely out of time. That's it. See you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.